This dollhouse is my fancy. <sighs> You're loaded for bear on this one, aren't you? Eh, I don't know. I don't think it'll be that long, but um, I still I have a bunch of articles queued up that I haven't read yet. The vulture ones that Todd sent. Um, what do I have? Let me check the Insta paper. There's been a lot of uh, a tsunami. There's the one I really wanted to read: the Ringer in sharp objects. The answers were there all along, which has been your. You you basically you 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 called this special session to gloat, and I told my wife about this. I said, you know what, John Syracuse loves more than anything. He likes destiny. He's a little frustrated with this crucible right now, but he loves to gloat. Uh, I'm not gloating about. Oh, it. you're gloating. Don't worry about that. You do that. You gloat. Well, we'll get to that part later. Yeah, how's it going? Pretty good. You like that? You like that yoga ball in front of the uh, kitty litter? I did. I like that. <laughs> At least the kitty litter thing wasn't turned upside down and placed into a laundry hamper. Uh, that's a protective uh, plastic fence around the bastic so that when she goes, shika, 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 it doesn't uh, go all over the place. I know. I'm just saying, at least the whole thing is not upside down in a laundry basket. Oh, right. Or turn 45 degrees. Sometimes happens. Things get turned upside down and placed into receptacles where they don't belong. Oh, you think that happens sometimes? I know it. You know, there's a concept. Integrity. Integrity. You know, integrity extends to things like how you put the green compost bag into the compost can. It should have integrity. It should have, as Robert Persick says, quality. You know, let's, let's do a good job. But the, the, the large, that's a large yoga ball. Who puts a large yoga ball in front of where the cat pees? But it, does that feel intentional? Doesn't that feel no, where else bit... is it going to go? That's, that's the problem with yoga balls. Where do you put them in your house? They don't conveniently store unless you deflate them, and no one's going to do that. So they just have this big ball. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the cat's cat can get around it. I don't know. She's very timid. She's she's probably the most unambitious animal I've ever met. Sometimes she won't like a door will be ajar, and you know she's already very slender, but she'll just stand there and stare at the crack in the door rather than try to open it. Yeah, my kids do that sometimes, too. Do they really? Do you, do you think something happens, they get kind of hypnotized? Yeah, they just, uh, you know, can't, can't even, as they, they say. Can't, they can't even. There's like this, what do they call it? You know, I don't know if you, you, you don't worry about your kids like I do. But you know when your kids are no, real I little? don't, do I? <laughs> don't I? I, well, I? I actually, that may be true. I think I worry about them in a slightly different way than you do. Did you listen to Back to Work? I didn't. Okay. Oh, I'm so fretful right now. I'm losing my goddamn mind right now, John. I'm losing my mind. So this is this is a this is the week between, as the song title goes. Uh, uh-huh. My kids don't have camp, but they don't have school yet either. Oh, so wait a minute! Just... Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Is that is that uh, is that Jonathan Colton? Mm-hmm. Okay. And John Roderick. I don't I don't know who got top billing on that album. Mm-hmm. It's a joint thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, they're just so, rattling so camp, around. Camp is over. School starts next week. Yep. So now they're just uh, they're just free agents. Uh, you know, my son has some like some uh, athletic stuff to do, and he's got some like high school orientation meetings and stuff to do. My daughter spent the day over at her friend's house, and the deal over there was uh, so there the parents are going off to work like all the regular parents, and then the kid, an eleven year old, is home, but they have another adult coming to like watch them, like a I don't know a nanny or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that. 
the two girls were just free to do whatever, walk into town because they live near the little village center. And put on their uh, skates, just, just skates to ride into the uh, town center. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the, the only rule was like check in every two hours. Mm-hmm. So that was the deal. Just, just completely free range, wandering girls without roller skates this time. You signed on to this? Checking check every two hours. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Like it's time. It's time. They're pretty, pretty responsible. Hopefully, I don't know. They, they came back. You know, my daughter came back alive uh, and this uninjured. Time. They gave him some money for lunch. I don't know what happened to that money. I should check on that. Wow. Yeah, so all they need all they need are roller skates, basically, at this point. It's <laughs> such an upsetting show. Um, let's just say what we're talking about. I don't want to put y'all off. Don't don't turn off the show. At the very, very end of this week's uh podcast program, we are going to have a spoiler slot in which uh, John and I discuss season one of the HBO series Sharp Objects. You will be duly warned. There will be a spoiler horn. But um, if you haven't seen it yet, you know, listen for that. And and if you check in notes, there will be a timestamp in there where the spoilers start. It's a very upsetting show. Yeah. Oh, man. This this is it. It's been a week and two days and it's already such a crazy school year. Uh, I, this is not, I'm not going to have this be the third podcast where I talk about this, but I'm, um, it's getting hectic. So you're, you're started now, right? And this is uh fifth grade. Yeah. This is the last grade in elementary school. Yes. And we have a mini topic related to that or somewhat related you don't to want to get me started on this t- this week you do not but this, want, but this is a good item this first mini topic get... is, a, is a joyous occasion oh that one oh that's this is huge john oh this is huge i thought you were gonna talk about homework this is the wrong way to talk to me about homework <laughs> snapping three times in a triangle mm-hmm. you do not want to do that oh man i gotta be in my bonnet right now is you listen to roderick uh did i i think i started did you get it? to the part about standardized testing no, I'm not upset yet. All right, we'll talk about it next time. This, uh, her teacher's really cool. He's he's real cool. And, uh, and it's I know, this is a dumb topic. But I was just so excited because this is the first time I ever got an email from a teacher in the six, seven, eight years my daughter has been in school. I believe it's the very first time, not just for a teacher, I believe this might be the first time I ever got an email from anybody in the entire extant educational system that did not have the names of every other email addresses of every other parent in the CC line. He BCC'd me, John. I almost wept. I was beside it's myself. It's a, it's a Christmas miracle. Have you ever got, I mean, okay, first of all, take a step back, back me up. Do, do you notice this as a thing? The, you know, uh, bonerdad69 at yahoo.com, all the moms and dads are all in the CC line. Do you get that? I do, but not really from the institutional emails. There are institutional emails about like the, the PTO and weekly announcements or whatever, and those seem to be addressed in the same way. But anytime there's a that, mass communication, that's coming out of like a school pages or similar. This is if it's coming from the teacher, it's just it's like thirty email addresses out in the open. I think it's the the main place I see it is like the room parents or parents uh, of children in there who want to communicate broadly they put it all in the two line but i think for the most part the the closer you get like i think the teachers actually are pretty good about it but that's cool it hasn't hasn't caught on in your town so now now you have did you enjoy the blessed lack of reply alls um i what i what i enjoyed is what i felt good about 
is, you know, a dingus meet a dingus, you know, walking through the rye. You get, you get a teacher who sends this out. And I think a lot of the folks who get it don't realize it went to 30 people. And sometimes they hit reply and they say something they thought just the teacher was going to see. And that mm-hmm. makes me wrong ve- window that, Oh, come on. I'm getting better. It makes me very uncomfortable when that happens. Yeah. Then you have to, then you know, you want to know, like, should I tell the person or I know? Well, yeah, then, it's like, like the flies open or something. Yeah. But then you don't know how many, how many other people are also telling the persons so you don't want to be one of 50 people who says, just so you know, you sent that to everybody. Like, it, I think, I feel like it's incumbent upon the teacher to reply back privately and say you send that to everybody, but not to everybody else. You know? They got a lot to do. Computers are hard. Yeah. Oh, oh, tell me about it. We're struggling right now. Um, so that made me happy. Yeah, he's cool. He's cool. I got to talk, uh, talk about something first, besides school. Uh, male teacher? Yeah. Yeah, it's a crazy year. It's a crazy year. Um, so K through five. Uh, one kid who's been in her class every year is not in there this year, but her friend from preschool, who she had to sleep over with when we recorded that last podcast, um, is in there. So that's really cool. She has a good class. It's so there's some high quality girls in this class. There's some good guys too, but it's very high quality female children in there. It's a good group. So I know you don't want to get back into this, and I haven't heard. I'll your get into shows, it a little but... bit. I've just I'm, I've become kind of a pill about it, and as of this afternoon, I'm officially losing my mind with school. Because this is fifth grade, you know, so it's the end of elementary school. And the, the, the sales pitch in our school was, this is the year we're going to prepare, prepare your children for middle school. And middle school is not like elementary school. And so we're really going to crank up the insert thing that there hasn't been much of in elementary school. Organization, uh, rigor, uh, and yes, I suppose also homework. Yeah, independence. Mm-hmm. Yep. 100%. Yep. Same here. Down the line. Yep. Did you get a talking to? About how you're supposed to be less involved? We did. <laughs> Ask me how well it's going. <laughs> well, here's the thing. When <laughs> I got that talking to, I found it somewhat of a relief. Because not that I was looking to be involved less, but I, I, you know, I want my children to be independent. And I like the idea that the right thing to do is also the thing that takes less time and energy, which is... Let your kids sink or swim on their own to mm. a larger degree than you had in the on pits. the face of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's so? What's you, what do you think of that whole pitch? I talked about this a little bit on back to work, but this is a different show. Um, one thing I really like that this teacher did was he he's real really cool and he's done a very interesting combination of high expectations, a uh, edict for independence, but also providing, um. I think very clear ideas about how this thing operates and how kids will be evaluated, which I like. And I feel like sometimes that's a little bit lacking. You know, as I've said before, one thing that drives me crazy in any situation is being told to do something without saying like how I hate to be that guy, but like, it helps to know why we're doing this, what the goal of this thing is. In other words, you know, I've said this before, like, is this about good handwriting? Is this about creativity? Is it most important that this gets in on time? Like that stuff does matter. Cause you know, once you get to college, boy, is that ever going to matter? And I think he's done a real good job. And as I mentioned on back to work, one of the things he did that I really like is he gave each of the, each of the kids, um, basically a day planner. It's basically like a, a one week view calendar per two page spread. And he encourages them to write down when things are due which I think is, you know me, <laughs> I think that's really smart. 
There's room for vocabulary words. If there is a reading log, that's a place to do that, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, the talking to that we got was a couple emails, homework part one, homework part two, uh, that was basically laying out what we're doing this year. And he was very explicit about it. He said, you know, the way my assignments work is I'm going to give an assignment on a day of the week and it's due one week from that day, you know, um, and I really, I, I want them to do it on their own. So to, uh, at the risk of, uh, invoking a perjury trap here, that is what he told us to do. Where are Well, you don't know yet. You're not there yet. Wait, she, she's, wait, she's going to fifth or sixth. My daughter, she's going to middle school. <sighs> sixth grade. <sighs> yeah, but that was, we got a, but it was cool about it, but like he did lay it out. Um, so at the risk of perjuring myself, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not doing that. I, I I'm not. I I am helping in a way. I'm not doing it for her by a long stretch, but I am trying to impart some things that can be useful. I'm I'm trying to be a project manager in some ways, just in the sense of like, a lot of this stuff is very new. The idea of like having an assignment to write a five paragraph essay that's due the next day, that's that's new. It's more than just a sheet full of multiplication problems. Um. So yeah, I'm right now. I am. And also the homework is greater. We spent two hours on homework yesterday. Um, and it is, it is getting heavier, but no, to be dead honest, I am still helping. Do you, are you doing that because you think she needs it or because you think she gets more out of her homework if you do that with her? Part of it's just my own hangups where like, uh, like a lot of people, including me, Sometimes she has a terrible time getting started and sees this as this big, unknowable ball of undoability. And it's like, bah, a thing I don't, what am I, what do I write? What do I say? So for example, uh, I should send this to you because I do love this very much. Did I send you her essay from yesterday? I don't think nope. I did. Um, so she had to write an essay, this five page, five paragraph essay thing, uh, technically four paragraphs, which is weird. Um, and she was really frantic about it. So she hates it when I do this. I went, I got the index cards and I interviewed her and I wrote down what she said on index cards. And then I suggested an arrangement of those things. And then she was able to write it in about 20 minutes. And she was excited about it. Now I know she's supposed to go suffer that on her own, but you know, how do you tell you you've written, you've written a lot. How do you tell a kid? I think especially with what you have written about OS 10. Like what if you had never learned that you don't have to start at the beginning? What if you had never learned that? I mean, you, you, you might hear that, you know, in school, Oh, you don't have to start at the beginning, but like, it's, you got to learn what's the important part. Start with the, the, the hot part, the part that's exciting, the part that's like where the story is. And then you build the rest around it. Right. I mean, that's kind of how writing works. I think. And so, yeah. How did this? How did this come about? This thing that you sent me. You, did you have her like? So the assignment was to you. No, 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 no. The assignment was you have to do a biography of your life in math. Mm-hmm. Um, in paragraph one, you have to introduce yourself. Um, paragraph two, you have to talk about um, what you what's been uh, what you've liked or haven't liked about math. Um, in the third one, discuss strategies that you've used when things are difficult and then uh, tell me what you're looking forward to or what you're worried about. And so what, what was the, what was the facilitating role that you played in this? 
um, I guided it a little bit and I said, okay, I said, let's talk about what was hard and easy. And I said, for example, I, I can remember last year you had a really hard time with division. Would you, would you agree on that? She was like, yeah. I was like, okay, are there other things that you can remember in the past? I'm like, yeah, worrying about tests. I'm like, are there other things that you like? She's like, yeah, I really like Khan Academy. She's great at Khan Academy. So that's kind of how I did it. I wrote each on a card. I kind of arranged them. I probably did I mean, more she, than I she should. Was, she was I, did not, I this? did not write it. Well, she eventually was because she was freaking out about where to even begin. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember having to write stuff like this at her age? Like, I, I just remember, I don't know. I, w- I would just flip out having to do any kind of writing with a blank sheet of paper. Like my first, I think I've told this story before on other parts. My first writing assignment that I can remember, I think it was fourth grade. It might have even been earlier. It was very young. And it was a, it was a book report. And, you know, you're supposed to read a book and do a book report. And I, it seems like book reports are much bigger when I was in school than they I are. You just don't hear about it like you used to. Yeah, it was maybe all that about, was the, like, that was the Maybe that was the reading log of the time. Yeah, maybe. But, like, it was, a, it was mostly, it was also about writing. Very often you could pick the book. Like, I think I picked the book myself. I picked Old Yeller, right? Because oh. who doesn't like dogs? Like, you get it from the library. Like, your choices are limited. It's not like you can pick anything, especially back then. It's not like you can go on Amazon and buy something. There was no Amazon. Uh, anyway. Got Old Yeller, right? And I'm like, I, I read Old Yeller. Great. Now I'm going to do my book report on Old Yeller. So I sat down at my parents' big glass top wooden desk with a Macintosh on top. But I was like, probably dated based on the fact that we had a Mac. It had to be 1984 or later. And so uh, this is the first book report I've ever read. I figured, okay, well, here's the book. And I read it. Book's pretty long. The book report has to be shorter than the book, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to open to page one and look at page one and say, well, here's what happens on page one and summarize it. Maybe like one or two sentences or one sentence per paragraph, a couple sentences per page, right? So I'll do page Mm -hmm. one, sentence or two. Do page two, describe what happened there. Do page three, describe what happened there. Do page four, describe what happened there. Oh my God, like a captain's log. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm I'm making a shorter version of the book. This is my book report. Let me tell you what happened in the book. And the the compression factor I was getting was like one sentence per paragraph or point point six sentences per paragraph. That's not a good compression ratio ratio. Old Yeller is not a long book, but still, you're going to yeah. end up with a book report that's very long. So I do this for a while, and I am going along. And at some point, a parent comes and sees what I'm doing and says, "That's not going to work." Like you're, it's it's not gonna. You will not be successful at a book report. You have to write, you know, one or two sentences for like multiple chapters of the book if you're summarizing the plot or talking about it. I'm like, how can you write one or two sentences that cover like a quarter of the book? How could you do that? So much happens in the book, and I was very upset, and I was just I you know was angry that I had spent so much time and basically had to throw away all that work and. I was angry at the apparent impossibility of writing something so much shorter than the book that captured anything about the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it was that was very upsetting. And I did throw away all that writing, and I did start over, and I did somehow. I have much of a greater memory of doing the first part and being really upset about it than of whatever the heck I did for the second part. But I, eventually, I figured it out, right? But that just shows, like, like you were saying, if you've never done it before. Basic things about the process are not obvious if you've never done it, right? So it's good to have somebody like I kind of wish my parents had come when I, you know, when I was two pages in and said, this is not sustainable, rather than when I was like 50 pages in and had written a tremendous amount of text in Mac write or whatever I was using. 
Mm-hmm. Well, this yeah, looks good. This this uh, this essay looks really good, other than the Trump caps, which I don't understand. Well, I proofread it and gave it back to her. But um, now, how did the Trump caps come to be? Because this may be an insight. <laughs> She's typing on her Chromebook. She typed it up on her Chromebook. Right, but you got to hold the shift key to make them. It's not like a dictation thing, is it? Or an autocorrect thing? No, no, there's no autocorrect in Docs. I don't think. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of strange, but I, I, I did take a pass at it, proofread it, and suggested, and she was actually reaccommodating. And to be clear, the Trump caps is randomly capitalized words. Like, yes. You know, uh, my is capitalized in the middle of a sentence, not as capitalized in the middle of a sentence, was is capitalized in the middle of a sentence. I'm trying to discern a pattern. Well, she's uh, 10. But it's yeah. it's a very, you're right, it's a, a little German. I mean, like in German, well, you capitalize nouns. It's interesting. Like, I, I'm very scared and worried. Scared and worried are both capitalized. That's very Trump. Yeah. yeah. Don't. Capitalize don't. And I was tempted to say, just leave it like this, because it'll cover my tracks. Um <laughs> But, well, I mean, no, but you didn't you didn't write any of it. You just facilitated the process. You wrote some stuff on index cards. I tried, yeah, I, I tried to like basically, uh, like I said, I tried to interview her and then kind of prompt her. And I said, so like, how would you say that, you know, in a sentence? And then once we had all the stuff on index cards, which is mostly like scribbles, like hated division. Mm-hmm. Testing was stressful, like Khan Academy, like a video game. And, um, and, you know, and you know me, I just think, I think that's, that for my brain anyway, the index, I did not like the index card method the way it was taught to me as a child. I always disliked the idea of having to do index cards in an outline because, it's, I don't know, at the time it didn't make sense to me. And now today, like, it just makes sense to me to, like, capture all the things that you have to say, arrange them in a physical space, and then the thing kind of writes itself. And it also then... This is true for any creative process like this. Now you're going to have all your good ideas and you're going to have your jokes and you're going to have your connections. You have a way to like connect the beginning to the end and all the little things that you learn when you're writing. So I don't, I hope I won't be that involved uh, all the year, but like the, I, there's some amount of process training that you get, but I don't think they get a ton of process training. And the process training is really, it's that liberal artsy part that like I think is really valuable personally. So yeah, I'm ashamed I helped. So I didn't write it. I didn't write it. I helped from your wife during this. No, not at all. No, no, no. Gosh, no. And and let's just say, I mean, I've I've I have it has been it is a has been apparent to me for years that we are not quote unquote helping our kid as much as other parents are quote unquote helping their kids. Sometimes it's downright embarrassing. Let's go back to second grade and the recycling robots. We had to make a robot out of stuff from the garbage. That made me very, very angry because hers looked like a big pile of trash that was in roughly the shape of a human body. And there were other ones. You know what it is, John? Stickers. If a sticker is affixed to something in a way that is sensible and on axis and they're all like that, no way a kid did that. That's not how a kid, that's not how like a a seven-year-old puts stickers on. Every kid is different. You never know. Give me a break. The organizational skills to make a robot out of garbage? You're telling me me a seven-year-old could could do that? could be a technological thing, like like the old SNL sketch that most people don't remember. I had my fancy Mac computer starting in 1984, and every single one of my book reports I handed in with multiple proportional fonts printed on my ImageWriter 1 printer, everybody thought, uh, A, this is some weird rich kid, and B, his parents must have helped with this. And I technically, you're, new, those, technically well, you're, new, you're uh, nouveau rich. I yeah, the, yeah, the first part was true. <laughs> Second part was, no, my parents did not help because they had no idea how to use that computer. But mm-hmm. I did. And it was impressive for like my entire academic life up to college because everyone else's things, 
if they were lucky, were literally written on either a typewriter yep. or on like an Apple II that printed in some ugly monospace font. And my things, you know, and yeah, I, I would, I would use the fonts to make them look fancy. I would did put you, the title. Did you, were you, a, were you a Palatino man? Uh, no, I was. I liked uh, New York, which is was the, their sort of times. Wait, was Roman. It Dot Matrix? Dot Matrix or Laser Writer? No, the Image Writer one is a Dot Matrix printer. But oh yeah, New have, York, New York looked great on Image Writer. Yeah, and, but it was these are proportional fonts with serifs, and everyone uh-huh. else had monospace fonts that they just look gross. Right, right, so right. So it was a but big I, but I mean, thing, it, and when I bring that thing in, some parent who was like you is going to be like that kid didn't make that himself. Like you made right. that on a computer. That's <laughs> the no. work typeset. I You're did. a wizard. Oh, they're all. They're all I, in fact, I I should have saved some of these. There, I just put them up in the attic. Uh, my brother was cleaning out some stuff at his house, and he had a bunch of my papers. I found a bunch of them. Is that how incredibly insufferable I was? This this was later. This was in high school when I was. We had like five page reports due every week in our AP U.S. History and Government class. Oh yeah, and I was all about the weird fonts and the snark and the and the sort of theming and the footnotes, and it was just incredibly insufferable. It's amazing that my teachers oh, endured. My God. That, but it did show, I mean, on the one hand, it was insufferable. On the other hand, it showed that I was putting an effort into my work. Like, yes, I was being insufferable, but I was actually taking the time to make the essay with all these different fonts and footnotes and jokes. And mm-hmm. that's something. Like, <laughs> a little t- bit of carefully are just deployed, desperate for the kids. Uh, carefully deployed San Francisco now and then. Yeah, no, totally. Like, I, <laughs> I did Cyrillic at one point, and then translation below it in tiny text that you could only print on an image writer that would, you know, you couldn't make text that small on, on like, a, you know, character printer or with a monospace font. Like, it was, yeah, all sorts of dumb jokes. I had one where there was an epilogue where I explained wow. all the all, all the insufferable jokes in the earlier part. Well, that's funny. I had, a, I had appendices, <laughs> appendixes, however you, whatever the yeah, plural. Yeah, I know. Well, and you're also, you're also getting at something, though, that I think is important, which is if you are, if one is a cautious person and is looking to, it, let, let's put it this way. If you're a kid and, and your primary thing is you don't want to get in trouble for breaking the rules, like, it can really hem in any possibility can hem in possibilities. I'm speaking very abstractly and I, I don't need to. My daughter is very cautious and does not want to break the rules. And so she is very, she doesn't even want to, she doesn't want to do anything that seems to differ from what she perceives the rules to be that would like make her stick out. Where I'm trying to say like, well, I don't know. I, if I were a teacher, <clears throat> I would want you to turn this in and have it be neat and on time and everything. But like, I would appreciate it if you did something a little extra on it. It doesn't have to be, whether that's a drawing or that's or that's stickers or that's appendices, but like just so you know, like that can distinguish you to do to a little bit more than what's expected of you. And she, I feel like, sees that as no, she's going to get in trouble because that wasn't what she was asked to do. So yeah, maybe the, that's the, maybe that's her, maybe that's the system. But like, I feel like part of my role in that is saying like, there's a way to address any of these challenges, these problems, these whatever, there's a way to creatively approach whatever it is that you're doing such that the product, I'm not saying this to, in these words to her, but there's a way to approach that so that the product is above the mark of what anybody was expecting, but it's still within the guidelines of what's allowed. School feels so different when I'm seeing my kids go through it now. And I feel like, the, I feel like the teachers care so much more about them, but it just may be a change in perspective. Maybe my teachers care just as much, but like part of it is just how desperate Teacher, I felt like teachers were during my schooling for any kind of engagement from the students. So any mm-hmm. student that seemed even remotely engaged with what they were saying or what they were assigning or the work at all 
Like even that that engagement was, you know, quote unquote bad, where they were being obnoxious about something or they were being snarky or whatever, at least they were engaged. At least they weren't putting in the minimum possible effort and just, you know, having no interest at all. So they're so desperate for some kind of connection. Now I see less of that now because I feel like most of the kids are more engaged than like even the most engaged student was uh in my schooling. But uh I, you know, then anything that you can, I still think it's true that if you do something that shows, you know, like you said, the little bit extra or whatever, that shows that you're engaged with the assignment in some way, the teachers are, are desperate for that. But the willingness to do it, I think I, I had a, you know, I was talking about it in high school by the time of like junior year in high school when I'm doing all this stuff. There was a long ramp up to the point where I felt comfortable doing that. And part of the ramp up was finding things that you like building confidence in a thing like, you know, writing is a thing that I can do, right? And mm-hmm. and understanding, eventually understanding where you fall in the the bell curve of uh, other kids in your grade in, in each skill. And it took years and years of writing assignments for me to get to the point where I was insufferable and realized I can write and most kids in my grade can't. And therefore, I'm going to pirouette and dance and show off and just generally be obnoxious uh but also be super engaged with my writing assignments in a way that most people weren't because they because they hated writing like you talk about illustrations i found one of my things it was like you had to write a children's book so of course i did full color illustrations full page full color illustrations every page page god you're such giant, an overachiever page of giant text with like you know kid book size letters right because of course i could do that on my fancy computer and then a complete color illustration on the facing page. Uh, I don't even, I think it was like chalk pastels or something or whatever for every page of like a 10 page children's book. Like, I mean, that's, and I don't even like at a certain point, the teachers like, yes, I'm engaged, but yes, I'm also showing off. And yes, that mm-hmm. wasn't even in the assignment. And at a certain point, I must've been just like, <laughs> you switch over to being like, okay, we get it. Chill. Right. But, mm-hmm. It's a long road to get from I don't want to do anything that might be outside the assignment because I kind of remember feeling like that. I mean, with my first book report or whatever, not knowing how to do it, feeling like I don't even know what the assignment, I don't even know what a book report is, obviously. Like that was like the, my lowest point in my in my writing career. It's like I obviously didn't even understand what was being asked of me, let alone be able to do it. Like I, I've totally misunderstood this process of writing uh, and my my previous mental model is dead and I have no new model. So I mean, I, you know, I think she'll get there, especially if, mm-hmm. as she puts in the first paragraph, uh, she loves reading, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, hop, that's skip, a, that's a, a jump story. from there to writing. It's also, um, I used to think about this a lot back in the 43 folders days where I was just, I was very interested in, in as somebody who procrastinates, I was interested in what, where pro- procrastination comes from, what causes it, what increases its, you know, malignant effects. I just, I would think about it a lot because I, I always thought that was a very intriguing, uh, I just thought procrastination was interesting because it doesn't make any sense in some ways. There's a lot about procrastination that is not, it's not logical. It's not, um, it doesn't make sense because you know you're supposed to be doing this thing. And the more you don't do the thing, the worse you feel. So why don't you just do the thing? Well, you don't understand what it's like to be a procrastinator. I thought that was so interesting. And I feel like, you know, this came partly out of reading some books and some articles and stuff, but I, I finally arrived at something that like, I, I think makes a lot of sense, which is a lot of procrastination 
on the one hand, it can come out of this sort of dopamine or adrenaline reward out of getting away with it repeatedly. But I think the other part of it is, is fear and a sense of insecurity where, you know, when I, it would be years before I would redefine my idea of what a perfectionist was. Because like most people, I used to think that perfectionism meant you would work on something way too long and, you know, wouldn't give up until it was perfect. And I came to understand that perfectionism really, in the sense that most people suffer from it, really means you won't even get started on something because you can envision the high likelihood that it will not be perfect. As long as you can imagine something that has to be undertaken that might not be perfect, you don't get started on it. And I think that's a fascinating phenomenon. And so today, whether it's me or my kid or whatever, I'm always on the lookout for opportunities to identify things that uh, one person looks at as a neutral thing, but somebody else looks at as um, punishment or like a test or like a trial of some kind, right? So like a bunch of people get invited to a party and they're so excited to be included and they can't wait to go. Other people are invited to a party and it feels like a trial. It feels like, oh, they have social anxiety and they can't imagine having to go to a party. And I, I don't know, when it comes to stuff like this, I just think it, I don't have an answer to this, but I think part of the question is, how do we take some of the danger out of this? Where yes, we want you to do a good job and yes, we want you to try, but we also don't want you to become a nervous wreck about it, you know? And to, to be uh, even nominally creative about something, you have to not feel like your safety is on the line. So I don't, that, to me, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough line to walk. Because on the one hand, there's the expectation that I will crack the whip and make sure the homework gets done, even though that's, in my opinion, not the most effective way to get homework done. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, how do you get a person to understand that this depends on the teachers, the assignment, the work, the schoolmates, it depends on all of those things. But to understand that, like, there, you, could, you can have a, a rewarding, creative life that isn't based on fear and, fear and punishment. You know, that there should be some lightness about it, even though it's a thing you have to do. It doesn't have to feel like drudgery and you don't have to be afraid that you're going to die if it isn't perfect. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Eero. You can learn more about Eero right now by visiting Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. You see, the folks at Eero have built the Wi-Fi system that you want and need for your home. You get a fast reliable connection in every room, even out to the backyard, the garage, wherever you want to go. They make that easy for you. The new second-generation Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as before. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero will blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. That Eero unit sits flat on any surface. You just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. I recommend Ethernet. They also have the tiny... Eero Beacon. This is so cool. All you need to do is plug it into a wall and expand coverage to any room so you don't have to move to a different part of the house to get the internet speed that you want. Let's be honest, having one router just doesn't work anymore. See, here's some science. Like light waves, Wi-Fi waves don't go through walls very well. You can look this up on the internet. It's true. You wouldn't expect a light bulb in your living room to light your master bedroom. That's crazy town banana pants. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. I have an Eero, and I am a huge fan. It really does blanket the house. 
sometimes I'll just walk around uh, doing speed tests. I don't really have a job. I got nothing better to do. Might as well check the speed. And it's true. Every corner of the house, down to the garage, all covered. We've installed an extra beacon, which makes our tiny little San Francisco flat a veritable Wi-Fi bonanza. It really is the best. And I got to say, I love the Eero app. It's such a terrific app. You can name individual devices on your network. You can block things that you don't recognize. You can even do cool stuff like see what kind of bandwidth different devices are using. It's a terrific setup. And I can actually really highly recommend it. Now, here's a neat thing. You don't have to wait weeks to get a hold of your new dream Wi-Fi setup. Nuh-uh. For free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada, just go and visit Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com. And at checkout, select overnight shipping. You're going to use the very special offer code DIFFS to make that overnight shipping free. Offer code is D-I-F-F-S, D-I-F-F-S, free to you. That's Eero.com, promo code DIFFS for free overnight shipping. Our thanks to Eero for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Have your teachers been doing uh, the sort of, I don't, wanna, I don't know what you would call it, but like having explicit lessons and a through line through multiple years about the psychology of learning for kids? I don't, I mean, I don't think, I don't know anything formally that's being done. Well, I, I'll throw out some buzzwords and see if they sound familiar. They, my kids, have, they've been preaching this to them. I want to say maybe from kindergarten, but, but maybe not. Maybe it was like first or second grade, but actual units or, or lessons or multiple days are like threaded through an entire year over the course of multiple years about the psychology of learning. And the, the I think the buzzword and model they mostly use is uh, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Does that um, ring any bells? We got that book and never read it. Everybody says it's yeah, a really like, good book. I, yeah, I'm sure there's a book about it. But they, like, like I said, they, they actually teach this in the same way they teach any other thing about, you know, math or multiplication tables. Or- I, I do know that that is the kind of thing that can have a cultural life amongst multiple educators, even if it's not a formal thing. And I, I know that supposedly that is an improvement over the strictly like New York Times article idea of grit. Um, mm-hmm. But there's some element of that to it. Could you tell our listeners what growth mindset means? Yeah, so they, they preach, my kids have been preached this all through elementary school. And the whole idea is you're trying to trying to get over the hurdle you were just talking about. That the kids who, uh, certain kids, my son, uh, for example, uh, don't want to do something if, they, if they're if they not 100% sure that they will be successful at it, right? Uh, and the they're, that's an example of, and they're trying to get the, get them over that hump to, like to, to just try it. And that's an example of a fixed mindset of saying, this is how I am. Uh, I can't do whatever. I can't do math i can't do multiplication i can't spell i can't read i can't whatever it is that you can't there are various times kids can't do things right and they don't want to try it because they know they can't do them and they're going to fail and they're not even going to attempt or make an effort unless they're sure they're going to succeed but you're never going to be able to succeed if you don't practice it so to get them over that hump they said you can't have a mindset where you are fixed this is me and this is my abilities and it's it, it will never change and instead they want them to have a growth mindset where there are things you can't do now that in the future you will be able to do. And the way you get from here to there is by trying to do things. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they give that lesson in a very simple way when they're younger. And then every year they keep cranking it up and making it more and more sophisticated. They test them on fixed mindset versus growth mindset. They remind them about it. They use the language. And, you know, it makes sense on the face of it, right? But it's all about, it's, not like, it's like psyops, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's actually what's going on. Well, it's, it's, a little bit of, it's a little bit of a, a change to framework, 
where it's it's um, there's an element almost I hate to put it this simply it's a little bit of like you know optimism versus pessimism where like optimism doesn't mean you're pretty sure it'll turn out okay but you will tend to look for the things that that um could represent a more positive outcome but it's about understanding that like this this can change if I work if I work hard on this um this can improve and I won't die and it's kind of like politics and that there is the thing that you want to accomplish for the reasons you want to accomplish it and then next to that perhaps overlapping in in part or perhaps overlapping not at all is what do i have to say or do to get that result and so again with the fixed mindset versus growth mindset that's that's what's going on with the kids but just telling the kids that get the result you want because the result you want is for the kids to get out of their fixed mindset into the growth mindset does explaining to them it would be like explaining a magic trick over and over with not only without them learning the trick, but maybe without them seeing the trick, it would be explaining how, like reading how a magic trick works where you go, okay, I understand how the magic trick works. Like what's the big deal? Right. And, and so like historically, a lot of the way this has been done is like, okay, well let's, let's find a secondary or tertiary action that we can do to get the kids into a growth mindset. One theory, you know, these, I'm just making things up here, but like you could say, we should encourage kids uh, whenever they have any small success and, you know, in, you know, positive reinforcement, whenever they have any small success in an area where they, that we know they have difficulty, like, or we should not do that. We should instead be silent when they make an achievement and let them own their achievement. Or like, there's all sorts of other secondary things you can get to them. But this is like, forget about all that. We're not going to try to do things to get the kids to be, we're just going to tell them, listen, kids, here's what's going on in your mind. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You don't realize this, but here's a mental model. Here's a thought technology for you to understand yourselves. And obviously, this appeals to me because this is how my entire brain operates. But I do wonder, does this actually work? Does explaining this help kids? Like, you know, like, because again, if you're, they're taught it all through elementary school, they're sick of it. They think it's BS as the same way you think everything that adults tell you for too many. If adults tell you something repeatedly, eventually kids learn to think that it's bs right and so i don't know if it got through i don't know if it helped some kids it didn't help others like you know i I can tell you that my one kid who has a very fixed mindset still has a very fixed mindset and my other kid who has a growth mindset still has a growth mindset and i'm not sure if telling each other giving them that vocabulary and giving them a thought technology put them off of the path they were going to follow anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, like it didn't make them both equally you know like they the kids are what they are but I I do like the idea of of not trying to prod the kids with some other action of like if we put them in groups with smart people or put them in groups with people who are at their level or if we we uh, try to keep everybody on the same page or if we allow a group to like all these other things that you can do to get around the fact that you say listen kids it's it's your own dummy dummy brains that are psyching you out and you need to get over it and let me tell you what's going on and telling them about it. So many times that it like a magic trick that it demystifies it. That you know, you, you talk about all these little uh sayings that you have for like understanding your own brain. What was the one you just you pulled out from the 60s on Roderick recently? Uh, you know, you're you're the sky, not the weather, or whatever. Like there's a, there's a million of those, but they're all about looking inside the machine and demystifying it instead of instead of existing within the machine and poking and prodding it and, and rattling the machine around and hoping to get the result you want. Instead, it's just like, uh, you know, understanding. Or it how becomes it just another that. thing where something that took you, took an adult 40 years to learn that now seems self-evident is something you expect somebody 13 to find self-evident, which is, which is a big ask. 
Yeah, especially when it comes, that's the thing, especially when it comes from adults, because mm-hmm. it's immediately suspicious, because adults tell you all sorts of stuff when you're a kid, right? And and if it's taught by teachers, and over many years, like, you just get, it's, it becomes eye-rolly so fast. Uh, so I, I wonder if it's, I could ask my kid when they're adults, do you remember being taught this? Do you think it helped you in any way? Like, I have to, I have to think, I'm, I'm really on board with it. I have to think that, yes, in net-net, it does, it does work better than the other approaches, because I feel like, yeah, like so many things, that are like this, where the adults tell children, they may reject it and eye roll it, but at some level they are internalizing it. Mm-hmm. At the very least, it is a thought technology that they have now. Whether, when or whether they choose to apply it, it's not mysterious. Because uh, a lot of, you know, the, the, the past approaches of never talking about that directly to the person, like that's, then someone would get into therapy and like, why wasn't I, I, if I had talked to a therapist when I was 10, my whole life would have been better because one therapy session and then yeah, the adult therapist these, these, these five, you. these five surprising tricks that would have changed my life. Yeah. Like, cause it, it, so often we operate at the, you know, at, at a different level. We don't operate at the root level of what's actually going on. Most, most adults don't actually know what's going on with themselves or other people's minds, but even if they do, they never want to say it or talk about it. They don't, they don't want to, you know, or. Or they don't have the vocabulary or the, you know, the the mental model to be able to talk about it. So they just deal with the effects, right? Mm-hmm. And with, with and then it's all about how do I deal with the effects? How do I get my kid to do homework? That is operating at the wrong level. And the better level is, why does my child not want to do homework? And, you know, you got to keep going all down to the root and you end up with, you know, fixed versus growth mindset or something like that. I, I, I have a remark that I want to make sure I want to bracket as being not a commentary per se, on the growth mindset, which lots of people have told us about. It sounds great. It sounds like a really good thing. Um, there is one, I'm going to go a little bit Holden Caulfield here. Um, one thing that does go through my mind, uh, a slightly John Syracuse-esque idea that captures my imagination sometimes, is that um, there are these good ideas, let's call it. There's these big ideas that come along and sometimes there are several big ideas. There are things to catch on. I mean, this could be something like Dr. Spock. It could be um, grit. It could be any of these things. But there are these ideas. And I don't want to sound cynical, but they usually have, in this case, growth mindset has this woman, Carol Dweck, behind it. She seems very highly respected, and people love this idea, yada, yada, yada. But they need to come up with an idea that they can, I'm trying to avoid the word vend, they need an idea that they can present to parents that will tick a few boxes. And one of the boxes that needs to be ticked is that it's in keeping with their, not life insurance, their nurturing insurance policy. The same seemingly good mindset that says, it's okay if my kid watches TV as long as it's quote-unquote educational. Somebody else defines it as educational. It's okay for them to watch that. Now I'm forgiven for that. Instead of saying, well, no, this is the kind of TV my kid's allowed to watch because they need to have good taste or whatever. You know, just because Caillou's educational does not mean it's something that you should show your kid. Don't be a monster. What, I, what I'm trying to say is that, like, I, I do have this, this little niggle where it's like, you know, we as adults, well, obviously that, that advice is never going to be passed on to our kid unless it makes sense to us first, unless it's, it connects with us first. And the, the ability for these various kinds of big ideas about children and development the ability for that to ever affect a child is hindered or uh, increased by the ability to be sticky with an adult, which is not a bad thing. You know, hopefully we're not going to have a new big idea about knife fighting on the playground that everybody thinks is good for growth. 
But do you know what I'm saying? There is this thing that often makes me think like, I wonder how much of this stuff ends up being sticky because you sound smart when you talk about it and because it it ticks the right boxes for us in terms of what we worry about, about ourselves, what we worry about in terms of our kids, not what their kid presents with, as a doctor would say, but what we have diagnosed our kid with. And then consequently, like how we will look being somebody who has gotten into this particular trend. I'm not saying that's true for all things, but maybe it's just because I watched that Mr. Rogers movie and I'm thinking about this. There are very few people you encounter in life who are just lightning focused on the actual target of the advice rather than the people who buy the advice. And I get the feeling Fred Rogers was a man who was genuinely pathologically concerned with what it's like to be a little kid. And I don't know, now I'm getting off track, but did you follow what I'm saying at all? Like some of these ideas really seem like they have been especially tooled to appeal to a certain kind of parent. That's the, the, the enterprise software of the, uh, that's the not, pop, that's not pop, a bad way to put it. It's the people, the people who use it are not the people who bought it. Yeah. And, but, but I think it's not, it's not that it's tooled. It's just, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, fitness, uh, criteria uh and in, th- in this case it's not actually the parents i think because as far as i'm aware i don't think we were ever pitched this i think th- the main fitness criteria that this whole growth versus fixed mindset has is that it resonates with teachers right well, same, same, necessarily... okay, but the same thing yeah right yeah but but like it's a different it's a different constituency right so, mm-hmm. so there are some ideas that are pitched towards the parents uh but this th- i feel like this idea became successful and entered entered the curriculum over the course of many years is because the teachers hear it and go this encapsulates uh, a reality and experience that I've had over my low these 20 years of teaching or whatever. Like it rings true to them, uh, whether it is, you know, universally applicable or whatever. It, it it gives a common vocabulary to a thing they all experience. And so they hop on board. Right. And I don't think it's because the idea was tooled to appeal to them. I think there are a bunch of ideas out there and they hop on the one that is most appealing to them. And it's between them and the kids and the parents aren't that much involved because I'm not sure this idea, this particular idea resonates that well with parents because they just want to, you know, the parents model, I think, is many years behind the teacher models, Mm -hmm. which is true of math and, you know, the new math and all those stuff like the parent model is like, you know, is my kid going to get good grades or bad grades? Is my kid smart or dumb? Is my kid lazy? Or like, it's always the, it's always the, the mindset of the previous, you know, generation of Neanderthals. Like the, with our education, with the, you know, the, what do you call it, the tennis racket in the uh, assistant principal's office or the paddle with the air holes Frank in it. Like, yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> or such, Mr. Finnell. Like, yeah, what a, what a world we came from, I, right? I, I, it, is. Yet, I, that, it is scarcely recognizable to me today, for sure. And, and that's the playbook we've got for what education is like. Like, that's that's our vocabulary. And so it's, it's a more of a challenge for us, whereas professional teachers who, like, they're, you know, up on the latest education trends and they're... It's between, you know, that idea resonates with teachers, teachers implement it across the entire school towards the kids, and the parents are out of the loop entirely because the parents are like, my kid, so is my kid lazy? Is my kid dumb? Mm-hmm. Like, they, <laughs> seriously, we are, I, I often feel that parents are the least prepared to deal with the education of their children. Like, the teachers are the most prepared, the kids are the second most prepared, and a distant third are the parents. Mm-hmm. Because just, you know, we, we've got all our anxieties about our kids, 
but like our parenting models from when we were kids, our education models from when we were kids. And if you're not a professional teacher or a professional parent, you know, and who is until you have a kid, you're not up on what, what's been going on. And like, cause you were at elementary school, then there's this big gap where you weren't in elementary school and you weren't paying any attention to how elementary school is. And then all of a sudden you have a kid and now suddenly you, you got to deal with elementary school. Well, it's almost like all like, of a well, sudden you got to know everything about EDM and you're like, well, why would I know that? Like that's, that's. Yeah, I haven't I haven't done anything related to that in decades. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it's the most important thing in my life. I know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not trying to throw the students out with the bathwater. I, I know there's a lot of good ideas out there, but it's it's not entirely different from turns out literature, which we talked about in previous episodes. But one thing that's appealing about turns out literature is that it tickles that part of your brain that likes having your expectations upset. And then you like being able to know something that maybe not everybody knows that's, that's, that runs counter to the conventional wisdom. The whole point of turns out stuff is that it's about something that's surprising and seemingly contradictory. And I think that's, that's very appealing to people. And that's why, I, in some ways, not that's why, but you see these revolutions. And you go back to Dr. Spock. Like when I was a kid, the way kids were expected to be treated in the mid sixties was pretty barbaric because I mean, there was a lot of conventional wisdom out there that was pretty bananas. There was medical stuff out there that was bananas. My mom, my mom who'd had a terrible time having a kid when she became pregnant, the first two things the doctor said to her is we're going to put you on what people call the birth control pill. And it's important that you keep smoking because the, the what that pill is going to do Two, two very turns out things because the, the pill thing is going to help regulate your cycles so you don't lose this baby. And by smoking, that will keep down the birth weight of the child. Things change over time. You don't have, you don't have a fat baby. <laughs> Nobody likes fat baby. I think there was something on the internet about like Victorian parenting. I hope it was Victorian. I don't think it was the 60s, but I hope it was Victorian. And it was like, uh, it was advice for parents on, you know, again, how, how you should, Dr. Spock of the day, how should you yeah. treat your children so they, so how, you how do you make, how do you properly. make an independent non-homosexual? Uh, yeah. And so one section of it was about uh, how much affection you should show your children. And the, the baseline was basically like, you can kiss your child once a year, but anything more than that, and you're coddling them. And it was mm-hmm. very serious and very dry and very like, but that but was like that's very what Benjamin came down Franklin, to. like very, yeah, that, like that was the metric. The metric was one kiss per year is just about right. And it wasn't a joke and it wasn't stern. It was just like, here are the numbers, here are the stats. In case you've been wondering, this is the appropriate amount of affection you should show your child. And this was, this was the best thinking of the day Yikes. on how to raise children. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. Casper is the company that is focused on sleep, and they are dedicated to making you feel exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend a third of your life sleeping, and if you spend a third of your life doing anything, you'd want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be. That is why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. So what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? They combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. With over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free 
sleep on it trial. They deliver directly to your door. And if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. I know whereof I speak. My entire family, except for our horrible, horrible cat, sleeps on a Casper mattress. Well, sometimes she mostly just kind of lays on my wife's arm, but technically an arm is not a mattress. You can check this on the internet. Uh, We are big fans. And right now, you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using the very special offer code diffs at checkout. That's D-I-F-F-S. Terms and conditions apply. Go to casper.com slash diffs. And please remember, a very special offer code diffs. All right, thanks to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Yeah. So I'm not against it. I'm not against it at all. There's something about, so the, the growth mindset stuff that was suggested by her, digga 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 probably fourth grade teacher, her teacher last year, who really suggested it. So this is a very good book. And it would actually be especially good for your, your kid, they said, just because I think she would really respond well to this. But do you remember all the, um, all the dust that got kicked up about grit a couple of years ago? And yeah, like that became, was definitely pitched to the parents because that was, was all a very about Ted, like, It was a very TED talk kind of thing. I think it really appealed to the New York Times Magazine and TED Talk crowd. And it became this, it became this um, sigil that you could fly about uh, how woke you were about, you know, in a way it's a new kind of Spock in some ways, but it was this way of saying like, well, if you look at the, like Entrepreneur Magazine says that like, this is the way you become really successful is, is by having grit. It's going that extra mile and doing that. You're like a dog I, with a bone. I hated that one so much because it was, it, it was it felt so wrong. much. Something about that felt really wrong to me. No, no, no. It was it, like, I don't think it's wrong, but it's like, it is the perfect example of like confusing cause and effect. It's like the people with grit were successful. Therefore, fair. the way yeah, to fair. make your child yeah. successful is to make them have more grit. It's like, wait a second. Is that how that works? Can, you can just well based on our, based on our longitudinal all, study most of the people who have succeeded by their 60s are people who were very successful right it's like it turns out the people who do the best in the olympics are the fastest runners so if you want your kid to do well in the olympics <laughs> they should be a fast runner you're gonna get want to get more points up on the sports board they should yeah they should be a fast <laughs> oh all the people who oh, win are fast runners I, I, I figured it out that's they, why my kid's such a loser they, they're not they running fast in enough the, in, the, in the face of adversity yeah so the people who end up in, in successful are the people who persevered and the people who didn't persevere in the face it's like it's the most tautological completely useless it's like how do I make my child have more grit? I don't need you to tell me that the people with grit are successful. The question is, how does my child have more grit? Like, that, that's where I feel like the growth versus, you know, whatever. Like, it's explaining a thing, but it's saying the way we're going to get our kids to do this is show them the magic trick. Here is, here is, here, here's a vocabulary and here's the two situations. This is what's happening in your head right now. Mm-hmm. And then let, hoping that explaining it to them will give them a way to get out of it. But just by saying, like, the kids with grit ended up being the most successful, it's useless, right? And, and the way, what happens is the parents read it and it rings true. And it's like, yeah, that's right. Grit is good. And they say, kids, you should have more grit. It's like, well, what? Now you, have, like, now you have a way of saying, if you've introduced your child to the grit, you've thrown the grit at them and rolled them around in the grit, and they're still not successful, you also now have a way, not successful to your, your gritty terms, you also now have a way of saying, well... The reason this hasn't worked out is because you haven't gotten gritty enough. Yeah, you got to get more grit. You get more well, in the why grit. You, have you tried running faster? Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> have, you tried, have you tried not being a mutant? <laughs> right. It just it gives parents something to be like <sighs> angrily demanding about. Like you should be like, and and it's so it's not even it's not even one level clever of like oh there's an insight. It's not well, even can, an like, insight. Sit there, you can sit there in your lawn chair like waving your arms around about how your kids should be gritty. It's it doesn't take 
I don't right, like, think how, it. The question is, how do you get from a kid who is timid to a kid who has grit? And like, like it just, it's the, all they got is a word. They got one vocabulary. Now I have it's a word very, for it's a, a thing. It's very sticky. Again, it's, it's like that 10,000 hours bulb stuff. Yeah. It's like, that is, and I think it actually, you know what? In fact, of all the dumb Malcolm Gladwell stuff, that is actually extremely germane to what you just described. Being that, let's look at the people who are most successful at what they do. Not, not, not to retread the whole like turns out thing. And I'll put that in notes for this where we talked about that. But, but I mean, it probably is fair to say if you look at people who have, have achieved longevity in what they do and are recognized as being extremely successful at what they do, what they do, I would not actually be surprised to find out that they have in fact spent 10,000 hours on that. But can we fairly say that everybody who plays violin for 10,000 hours will get good? I don't yeah, think so. That's that's the problem with all those things. It's it's like here here is the successful group, and here are the attributes they have. Therefore, you <laughs> should have those attributes, and you will also be successful. It's wrong Lisa? on so many levels. Lisa, I'd like to buy your rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, and then, so yeah, the grit one like that is. Uh, I think that's gone around too, as attached to the growth versus fixed mindset. But you have to be like the fixed versus growth. I like that as a thought technology because it's like this. You know. Grid is not a thing you have or don't have, or it's not an action that you do or don't do. It's the, the mindset model is in what mode are you thinking right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and recognizing if you're in the mode, it's like, I'm not good at math. I'm never going to be good at math. Like it doesn't, it doesn't tell you how to get good at math. It just tells you to recognize this is what you're doing right now. You are <laughs> literally psyching yourself out. It, but and, like, how does that work on a teenager? Well, it's like, I mean, okay, so here's a, here's a, here, okay, let me, let me throw you some other of these because, because like I used to be obsessed with models, not obsessed, but I, I've always been very interested in models for understanding things. Uh, later in life, that might be something like getting things done, which is a model for understanding how to accomplish valuable tasks in your life. Another one is a model that has come out of a lot of traditions, but was popularized in the eighties by Roger Von, Von Eck. Um, and he has this idea of the creative process for example, where he says the creative process consists of, oh God, why did I not plan for this? The, the consists of the explorer. Let me see. Let me get this right. The explorer, the artist, the judge, and the warrior is one way to think about the creative process. Okay. Just bear with me. I know this is BS, but it's a really interesting model. The explorer has the job of going out and finding out just what is out there, collecting, not doing any evaluation. It's just your job to go collect the stuff, right? Eventually you get better at being an explorer. You learn what's absolutely unvaluable, but it's not your job to judge. The artist decides what to be done with the raw materials. The, the um, judge decides whether we're at a point where it's worth executing on. And then the warrior furiously, uh, fear, uh, fearlessly makes the creative process happen. Now, admittedly, that is a that is a somewhat reductive, lame-brained idea. But you know what? I would much rather teach that to a teenager than I would say, "Here's a bag of grit." Like, what the hell does that mean? Like, there's that's the problem with the big, big ideas. Is like even like the dumb idea that you could laugh at, like "I'm the sky, not the weather." That could have a really profound effect on somebody, maybe just because it helps you think a little bit differently. But like when you're telling people that you have an absence of this buzzword, I don't know how that changes the way they write their essay tonight. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it's meant to just change you over five years, and eventually you you arise. You're a black swan coming out of your cocoon, or whatever. But like, it's just there's there's so much stuff that I really think I'm going to say it. There's so much stuff that makes a lot of sense to parents who are scared, worried, and feel like they are underachieving that they are more than happy to pass on to their kids as as the rubric for success in whatever's happening in their life. So that creative thing. Well, first of all, our education system 
doesn't isn't really concerned about teaching our kids how to be creative and i think uh, it's so that therefore it's probably more applicable to adults in some creative field of, mm-hmm. you know how how do i but the, you know you, know, you get the idea I, the idea is that you, i mean just not, not i know you're a smart person but just to clarify why i think that's valuable is anybody of any age should learn it's you don't start proofreading until you're done with the draft you don't do the draft until you at least have some big ideas that you have permission at different points to pursue different roles and know when it's time to switch back to a different position. That's all I mean. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's applicable. But I also think the, the reason I think it's good to get this stuff early is your kids start to harden real fast, right? By the time they're into middle school, the door is already closing. By the time they're into high school, it's pretty darn closed. And if you were trying to try to teach a bunch of high school kids the uh, the warrior judge explorer stuff, they will laugh in your face. They mm-hmm. will resist it. Like they're not ready. Like they're too closed off by that point, right? If they've internalized anything, hopefully it was what was taught to them at a very young age in elementary school when they were more open to it. And I feel like by the time you get to high school, the only way you can get through to people, and this is the thing they do in high school all the time, even if you're going to teach the exact same thing, the only way to get through to them is experiential, where you have to, they do this like in drama classes or sometimes like in social studies or health class or whatever. The only way you can actually impart information to teenagers and get through their, you know, increasingly high walls and (laughs) cynicism and eye rolling is you have to have some kind of experiential thing where you have a class exercise or activity and then you get that aha moment where their eyes are open to their eyes are open to the reality of sexism or racism. Their eyes are open to the reality of how we feel and talk about sex, like whatever it is. Like it has to be an exercise. Essentially. If you try to teach them in the abstract, they will fight you. They will resist. They will ridicule it. And it'll, and you may think it's penetrating a little bit, but it's, it's hard. Like they may revisit it later in life, but only when they are a miserable and, and yeah, but you're making an impression. Better. You're making an impression that could bubble up where they're going to go, oh, that's what that thing was. Yeah, maybe probably later, probably once yes. they get out of their 20s and are depressed but and, you and planted, reflect you on that. But you planted the seed. Right. But but experientially, that's how you can get through to them. Because I've seen it happen in my high school class. Like you know, nothing got through to any of us, including me. But anytime anyone did an experiential thing, we all had the aha moment. Right. Uh, yeah. About whatever it was being taught, because we were living it. But even if it was an, a completely artificial exercise, we were participating in it and we sort of discovered whatever truth it is they were trying to do on, you know, on our own. And, and it, we owned it and it wasn't coming from the mouth of an adult, even though they completely orchestrated the thing. And those are few and far between between. But that's like like if you're going to do like the, the warrior judge or whatever, like you would you would have to maybe you could introduce that, but then you'd have to have an exercise the demonstration you can't just make them do the thing like it's it's really difficult you know right if it's, it's if it's a mental model or or like a mental framework for something i mean that, that is a little bit tricky that you have to really be in the right mood and right state state of mind for that to even for, for them to not roll their eyes or or you got to like disguise it right well, or just pick can, one can aspect I, can of I give you an example you um first mm-hmm. day of school she comes home from school i love her teacher so much uh, she said, this year we're talking about equity and equality. I was like, hmm, that's pretty interesting. I don't know if I know what the difference is. She said, well, we talked about equity today. And she said, so he, uh, he says, anybody want a Rice Krispie treat? And everybody raises their hands. So he hands a Rice Krispie treat to one of the girls. And <laughs> it's like, that's not fair. Why does she get a Rice Krispie treat? And he says, oh, oh, don't worry about it. I got another one here. He pulls out a second Rice Krispie treat and cuts it into 27 pieces. <laughs> I mean, okay, you see where this is going. Mr. Hand did that. Did Mr. Hand do that? No, not quite. It was like, you gave the pizza to the whole class. Okay. Anyway, but I don't know if that's as good an example of what you're talking about, but like, they, boy, everybody instantly got that. And then, of course, he had a big box full of these. 
because he's a he's a lefty who doesn't want to make kids unhappy. But I, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. That you you instantly understand what that is. Like, do you want to be? Do you want to be? You know, he's basically teaching socialism, but it's pretty great. And the, but yeah, that, that experience thing kind of does. Kids do have an innate sense of justice from time to time, and I think there is always a chance for that stuff to be learned. Yeah. So anyway, my hope is that when they're young enough, the abstract ideas, the very broad abstract ideas actually can penetrate and be internalized and that they can, the kids can at the very least reference that to recognize what's going on. Even if they still have no way out of it and don't understand how to get out of it, at least yeah. they are more clear right about what's happening and that it can at least maybe chill them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to just being panicked of like, I don't know what's going on. I just, you know, uh, and then after that, it's, it's experiential stuff. I don't know. I, I this is, my son's first year in high school and my daughter's first year in middle school, although we, you know, my son went through the middle school experience, but really and my experience with middle school was that uh, parents are kept at more of a distance uh, in general, right? Well, they, so don't want you to see the, they don't want you to see the hellscape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as far as I could tell, I think, uh, you know, his teachers were all really good and met with and talked to all of them and everything. And so I think, I think his middle school experience was better than mine, but I don't know, like he can't, He's not going to talk to me about it until he's an adult. And when he's an adult, I'll ask him, hey, was middle school terrible for you or was it okay? But mm-hmm. anyway, he made it through. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, can I uh, do a little bit of front matter at sure. the top of the show here? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, um, hey, everybody, uh, this, uh, this comes out around September 6th. I wanted to thank everybody out there who donated to the Relay.fm membership drive for the month of August. Uh, and for those of you who have unlocked the special bonus, you have now had a chance to listen to our very special members-only episode with Todd Vaziri, where we talked about all kinds of good stuff, full media blackout, the information problem, The Exorcist. It's all in there. Uh, but I just wanted to just quickly say thanks to everybody uh, who uh, who donated. Hopefully, hopefully to us, right, John? Not not just mm-hmm. everybody, yeah, but and to this us. Was a member, this is a membership drive. It's like, oh, whatever, the month of all, everyone become a member of Relay. You can become a member of Relay Are you all, kidding? All, the whole year. At any time. It's not like, oh, I missed it. I can't become a member now. You, any day, every day. Anytime you want, you can become a member. Do do you know where people go for that? Uh, I'm going to say RelayFM slash membership. (laughs) Surely there'll be a redirect. If you write members or membership, um, you know, anyway, Relay.fm. What you do is you go to Relay.fm slash membership if you're not a member. And you're going to get all the great shows. They're all in there, all of the years and years and years of wonderful bonus episodes. Well, actually, technically year plus year plus year for us. But, um, but yeah, and also just thanks to everybody for doing that. We appreciate you uh, participating in that. Um, I'm tired. Oof. You know what they do? You know what they do? You know the thing he does? Can I tell you one more thing he does? Mm-hmm. You got to tear down the wall this year, okay? So he has this wall full of these pink rectangles. And every time a kid reads a book about somebody who's not their race, gender, or nationality, he gets to tear down a tile. From the wall. Pretty good. Isn't that pretty good? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Experiential. Got to make it experiential. The, exp- the experience is, the, the, the lesson is, I want you to do activity X. The experience is, I get to see a pink wall slowly disappear. Yeah, and we get a, we get a popcorn PJ party <laughs> if they all come down. Yeah, a little bribery number, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, such a, it's such a weird line where, like, where the, like the Rice Krispie, the desperation for Rice Krispie treats, I feel like... People are going to be more cool about that just one year from now. In middle school, it's not oh, yeah. cool to be dressed desperate for a Rice Krispie Treat, but but fifth grade, oh, yeah. even though you are the oldest kids in the school, everyone is unashamedly wants oh, that Oh, absolutely. Krispie. Absolutely. Um, do you want to go to our uh, spoiler slot? Uh, sure. I, think I, have, I didn't read that hypocognition article. I did Instapaper it. Does Instapaper it, it, count as reading? Yeah, I hope so. 
I just thought yeah. it, I thought it would appeal to you. Now, now, like a lot of people, I sent that article to people. Well, actually, me back about that article because it opens with a an anecdote that rather imprecisely tries to make a point. But the basic point of this article, as I read it, is this might as well be called the John Syracuse phenomenon. And it's about the problem of not knowing what we don't know. And I think it's a very interesting idea. So if you want some reserve reading, um, yeah, I'll put it in show notes. I might have already done that, actually. But, yeah, I'll, tr- I'll try to read it. Although once you tell me it short. reminds me of me, that makes me not want to read it. Oh, God. Because then, because either either I'm going to read it and go like, yeah, this stuff I already know, or I'm going to read it and, th- and think this is what he thinks I think. <laughs> so it's like no upside. You know nothing about my work. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, let's let's do a shorty. I need to get some sleep. I got lots of homework to do tomorrow. Yeah, it's, getting, it's getting hotter in this room by the minute. <laughs> oh, what is it? What's it like? What's oh, you you posted? Was it ninety ninety seven today oh, with with all the humidity on your dashboard widget? That was so cute. Yeah, I use it every day. Yeah. Um, what else? Is there anything else we want to talk about before we go to the slot? Uh, oh, uh, let's do a horse's feedback full of food briefly. They'll take two seconds. Okay. At some point, I assume last week under mini topics, there's a bullet that says horse's feedback full of food. And I saw it and I thought there's no way John typed that. That's got to be something that John said. And I wrote down as a title that I just put in the wrong section you claim to know what this means john what does it mean a horse's feed bag full of food so i i haven't listened to last week's episode i don't think i listened is it out already yeah it's out i i just don't remember well then i, I, did, did, listen I didn't to listen it. to anyway, it fully yet anyway uh i think this came up on the last episode you said something that triggered me to say horse's feed bag full of food and you said <laughs> what and then and you said what the heck does that mean and i think i said i'll put it in the notes to to revisit it so oh you want to just leave it there leave it dangling no so i'm going to okay, tell you uh, where, where it comes from now horse's feedback full of food i assume the reason i said it is because i assumed that this is a sort of a national level or at least regional level level known thing among kids mm-hmm. but the more i think about it the more it occurs to me that it could just be something a friend of mine said to me once and became a thing between me and my friend. Uh, so it's in the context, you ever play the, the game of horse with the basketball? Yeah. All right, so you gotta... You, uh, you gotta take a shot take, and then your friend has to uh, replicate the shot. And if they don't replicate the shot, they get a letter. They get a letter. An H, yeah. then an O, then an R, then an S, then an E, and then they lose, right? And I would play this, I had a basketball uh, hoop at my house, and I would play this with a friend of mine, and he was not very good at basketball. So when we would play, I would do horse and he would do horse's feedback full of food. So for him to lose the game, he had to get H-O-R-S-E-F-E-E-D-B-A-G-F-U-L. He had a horse handicap. Yeah. It was like golf. You handicapped him. Yeah. And the horse's feedback full of food phrase, I think, came from him. And we used it as like. That's so weird. Right? Yes. And for, for because it's like it was, you know, a, a formative childhood memory and we did it all the time. I just assumed, oh, this is a thing you do when you're going to handy when you want to give someone a handicap when you're playing horse. The one person gets horses feedback full of food. But but now the more I think about it, the more I think this is probably entirely unique. And I'm the I'm, me and one other person on this planet. Are oh the only people God. who know about this. So I could see to me, the easy one would be horseshoe. Yeah, no, this was the, the comically exaggerated one that it's horses really, feedback really full long. of food. Yeah, horses feedback full of food. So you you got a pretty good free throw, huh? Uh, no, he was just really bad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, Close, I, here's the, here's the, the thing. Here's the thing. You, you, here's the thing you learn about uh, childhood. If 
one of your friends has some game or piece of athletic equipment at their house, they're going to be really good at it. Especially oh, in the in the age sure. before the internet and smartphones and, you know, video games. Because if you have a ping pong table or you have a basketball hoop, there's mm-hmm. nothing else to do but play in the ping pong table, play the basketball hoop. You're going to get good at it. As opposed to someone who only ever sees a ping pong table when they visit your house, you're mm-hmm. going to destroy them. Because all you do all day for hours and hours and hours, because you're not in camp and there's no internet and you don't have a video game console, is play ping pong. You're going to get good at it. So mm-hmm. I had a basketball net uh, and I got good at it. Okay, follow up. Uh where was the hoop located? Was it in your driveway? hmm Did people ever just show up and shoot hoops? Un- uninvited on my driveway? No. No. Okay. Like, it was high enough up. Like, our driveway was like, it, it made an L shape and went up a hill. And Ooh. so this was at the top of the thing. Nice. Uh, so you'd have to really come into the property, invade the property. Yep, yep, to, yep. Get it. Know. Totally get it. Yeah, I'm thinking of like in my, my neighborhood, it was more like you could fit... Uh, 65 Mustang plus five feet into most driveways. And they were flat because you're in Florida. Well, I'm thinking back in Ohio. In Florida, oh, Florida. You couldn't be outside. The ball would deflate from the heat. No. Just melt. Can't, can't get in the people's yard or they keep it. The bouncing of the balls to a disruptor to the old people. <laughs> so uh, that's what balls do. They bounce. That's true. That was, that was a, uh, that's what dogs do. They bark. Roderick reference. Oh, 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 oh. John, it's John's that's neighbor dog. One. Yeah, I'm, I'm 39 minutes into that episode. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be disappointed with how much I repeat myself. This homework thing has got me on Twitter. And can I literally beg you not to get me started on what's happening with the after school program? Can I say one thing about the after school program? What do you have uh, first on your after school program? Do yeah. you have an acronym for your after, after school program? Well, we had one last year. And what then they changed vendors, and we have a new one this year. Hmm. OPSEC. Can't say. Uh, so last no, 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 year... So, so, it's, so it's name brand? It's like it's branded with the, the company that provides the service? It's not like generic? Like like PTO, parent-teacher organization, right, or right, right, PTA? Right, right, right. Uh, I don't want to say too much, but like, for example, last year's, it was the name of the company that does after-school programs in San Francisco public schools. Hmm. It was very poorly run. But the people were really nice, and it was pretty doable. You know what? I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to walk away. I'm just a, I'm just a goddamn mad right now. Um, some of the kids are there till 6. It runs from 2 till 6. Mm-hmm. Okay? It, you, know, you know what uh, one of the rules is? Got to pick your kid up by 6 or the teachers get mad. Not allowed to work on homework. After, after you're not allowed to? Our aftercare had a dedicated hour where all kids could do was work on their homework. Bullet. Bullet in the feature list. This is not a homework completion program. So let me just toss this out to you. It's, it's very economically priced. As we've talked about, especially for being an on-campus, you don't have to go anywhere. Like you kids like had to go somewhere else on a bus, right? This is at the school. It's pretty economical. It's very near our house. It's great. New vendors this year. Uh, kids are there from around 2 p.m. until as late as 6. Yes, you must get your child by 6 or they will be put in the closet. You must get your child... You tell me how you feel about a fifth grade kid getting picked up at six o'clock and they have not done their homework. I don't have to tell you. I lived it. Uh, so our, our aftercare. Was that non-stressful for you? Our aftercare had a dedicated time for kids to do homework, but yeah. it was optional. My and daughter my children, loves doing homework at aftercare. It's her favorite thing. My children. Because then she can come home and play Zelda. She's all Hyrule when she comes home. Oh, so my kids would opt not to do the homework because who wants to do homework? We would pick them up by 548 
5.53, like, always yeah. a race against time to get there before you get the looks from the teacher, yeah, and then eventually the talking comes to, up. <laughs> right? We'd bring them home, get home by 6.10, 6.15, uh, you know, make oh, dinner. God, you haven't bath, made dinner yet? Shower, oh, my God. And then, you know, because both parents are getting home around that same time, and then try to get them to do homework, and when all they want to do is play video games or stare yeah. at YouTube or whatever. Very stressful. Very difficult. But it wasn't because, but like aftercare was not working against us. Aftercare was working with us. I don't expect that aftercare that? to demand that my that children do rule? homework. Can you imagine that? The kid, is it, she, was, she came home in tears. I so couldn't what is the thinking homework. there? What is the thinking behind that? Let me just put it this way. For one thing, I will be picking my kid up early every day now. It's a new thing. Uh, and you can make for damn sure we're going to be talking about it. <laughs> After seven days, seven days in with this, and I'm at wit's end. Yeah, I gotta add that to the thing because because I want I want to know what the rationale is. Like, is there some sort of liability involved? I do, with I, I do too. I do too. As I said to Dan today, we didn't talk about this expressly on there, but I um I try mightily to not assume everybody is stupid and has bad will. I try to assume that people are smart and have good will. And like I say, I, I try to assume that people have the reasons. We're gonna try and explore this in a sane way. But like this is something that a lot of people utilize. If you had a kid in second grade, this would be crazy. Having a kid in fifth grade that can't start to help their homework until after six is mental. Especially if a kid, uh, if you're saying, if you're given the sweet, sweet gift of a child who wants to do their homework while they're at aftercare. Now you see why I'm frustrated? <laughs> yeah, and I would think of the acting people want to do it because it's a, it's a potential quiet time. Like it even if you don't make like, it mandatory, you, know you separate the quiet kids from it the... Used to, you know. It used to be at three o'clock, they would go to the library. And you could you, you could do the computers, you could read, you could go pick out any book you want, work mm-hmm. on homework. For me, I mean, that's Valhalla for me. When I was a kid, that would have been the greatest. Take away the computers. Just being able to go, like, be in the library. Not have with, to talk to somebody. To not have to talk to somebody, to not have not be yelled at, not do anything, not be flustered. You can go sit in a corner by yourself. You read, you read a Garfield book. <sighs> Henry Huggins, man. Ribsy, Ramona. Three investigators. Seven means three cheeses. I'd read them all. Uh, but that used to be a thing and I'd pick her up. So, Hey, how's it going? Let's go home. She'd be like, just finished my homework. Got it all down. And mm-hmm. we go home and we can mm-hmm. just do whatever. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> what's up with that? But you can understand perhaps I'm finally revealing the actual reason behind the flustering and the flustered and why I'm so flustered is like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm overreacting. I just think that's. No, you are not. I can't wait to hear. I lacking to hear further it. information. That's real stupid. <laughs> I think there's always some kind of liability. We let the kids do homework once and then one kid's brain exploded. <laughs> I'd have lost an eye. <laughs> yeah, his brain exploded. We had, to, we had to stop. It was a night just like this. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, or a blog. Maybe you want to put up photos or videos, whatever you want to do. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need help. And they also let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I'm a big fan of Squarespace. I've used them for years. I use them for my personal website. 
I use them for the Roderick on the Line podcast, and I use them to post my uh, my playlist. You can go to MerlinM.com slash playlist. That's Squarespace. Squarespace. That's right. Squarespace fans start at just $12 per month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to Squarespace.com slash diffs. Now, when you decide to sign up, please remember to use the very special offer code diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And yeah, it'll show your support for reconcilable differences. So once again, you go to squarespace.com slash diffs, offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. All right. Uh, stay tuned for the mystery of why homework would not be allowed at a school program. Uh, it is time now for us to move into uh, a favorite section on the show called the spoiler slot. And in just a few seconds, we're going to drop in the spoiler horn while John and I discuss Sharp Objects Season 1. This is, I think, eight episodes, seven or eight? Yeah, short. It's real short. Uh you know, all like you know, we kid about this stuff, but um, like content warning, like uh, I, uh, read the label, like read the log line for this show, uh, especially for things regarding mental health. Oh God, regarding all kinds of things, but especially self harm. Be careful with this one because it is uh, it is a very upsetting show, and I don't want to scare you off it. But uh, I want to just continue to say, despite what Dan says, this show is not for everybody. It is a very upsetting show. But if, if you can get with it, um, I would say it's a very do you, good show. Do you have any remarks on um, people who have not seen Sharp Objects? What should, what should they know about this show? Yeah, I think you cover like people, people who are who are going to have a bad reaction to the show. You'll know it from reading the description. Like it's not it's not going to sneak up on you. It is not hidden in the show. It is right there on the surface. It's in the synopsis. So uh, don't if if you don't have a problem with the topics addressed and you don't find it upsetting and, and you actually want to write, watch a show like this, you'll be fine. <laughs> if but you don't find you are, it upsetting, you're a monster. <laughs> yeah, but but if you but if you're sensitive to this type of thing, stay away because the show is full of it. Stay all the way away because it's even if you're okay with this stuff, it's a it's a um, these folks know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very it, it affecting. Is a, it is a yeah, it is. It's a very. It's, in some ways, it's a very it's been heavily criticized for being such a sleepy Gothic tale slowly told. But when it is told, um, there's a lot of emotional and physical carnage. That's, uh, you're not going to have the dis- distance from this that you would from a walking dead. It's, it's yeah. very personal yeah. and very sad. And, and, um, it's not for everybody. I don't want to spoil it, it, it but like, seriously. this is, I, I, I have to admit, I very rarely, uh, I don't always see the value of all the something, something content warning stuff. And this one, I think it is important to tell people this is not for everybody. And so go, go, go watch uh, eight or more very painful hours of TV and come back for our discussion of sharp objects. Season one after this, uh, as John likes to say, we're not gonna talk about anything else uh, apart from trying to find a joke to go out on. Uh, And uh, Jim, please insert the spoiler horn. And we're back. So sharp objects. Yeah, so we're going to start so, anywhere. Yeah, this you should have already watched this whole show. If you're listening now, we're going to spoil the whole thing because the thing involves a, mur- a murder. Mystery. We're going to really probably we're going to spoil a lot, a lot, a lot, because it's important to talk about every uh, little stitch of this. So please 
Yeah, so we talked about it on the, the special episode, which I know not everybody heard because some people aren't relay members, and that's a terrible thing. But yeah, shame on you. Only like a couple thousand people heard yeah, it. It's very we sad. Did, yeah, we did talk about uh, it a little bit on there. And what, I'll repeat briefly what I my take on it then was that we, we hadn't, the whole series hadn't run yet. I think we'd only seen like three episodes of it, but I can tell you that those three episodes were definitely representative of the season. The season did not take a weird turn. Like that, that was, it was on that message the whole time on that theme. And a particular device that Sharp Optics uses is the, flashes of uh scenes of you know memories fl- flashbacks uh, fr- uh from a character's perspective put on the screen very briefly or sort of hallucinate hallucination right, exactly like the, where you look and look at it's, something it's, le- and it's left to the there. it's left to the viewer to determine whether that is a memory um uh, a memory of flashback or a hallucination or some combination because there are combinations right and visually they're put on the screen for a very short period of time. And my my issue and my complaint last time we talked about it on the special episode was that it wasn't clear to me in the beginning wh- how much those things were supposed to read mm-hmm. to the viewer. Like, was there an expectation that the viewer understood what they were seeing and extracted information from it? Like, yeah, you basically oh, said, is this supposed to be, I mean, just to, for people who didn't hear, you were saying, well, like, is this something that's just supposed to be kind of emotionally evocative or is there a story Mm -hmm. does this lend to the story where i do have to go back and rewind five times and watch it to understand the story right like practically speaking was i supposed to recognize who that person was was i supposed to be able to see the person's face is that a character that we know already or is that a new character was i supposed to tell what was happening that scene or you know because those they are evocative all of them are evocative spoiler alert don't be a light-skinned non-brunette in this town (laughs) yeah that all those those flashes are evocative, but some of them are so fast that like those are actually easier. If they're so fast, they're like okay, it's clear they didn't expect me to read anything from this. Like, and three episodes in, what I was wondering is, are they going to flash back to that same scene over the? Because they did even just in three episodes, they flash back to some very to the same scene. First, they'd flash back to the middle of that scene, where in hindsight, it's clear that they didn't expect you to get anything from it because you had no context. The next episode, they'd flash back to that same scene a little bit more. And now you have a little bit more context and you start to piece it together. And then in the third episode, they'll flash back even more, maybe like later. And, you know, and so they started to build a structure. But in the beginning, it was difficult to tell, like, at what point am I supposed to be able to read this? Or am I expected to to, to have memorized all the flashbacks previously and to, to, in hindsight, put them together and figure something out? Um, so that was that was a little bit upsetting to me. I felt like it was very evocative, but I felt like it was also it was like bad user interface. It was a little bit confusing to the viewer, to, the viewer didn't really know. And, and it was compounded by the fact that in this modern age, we can pause and rewind. We all can, right? We can, you right. can do that. Uh, some people I think, love you, I think you also that. have to grade these a little bit on a curve where like uh, it, it is clear from the very first episode that the Drano on a cart going down the hallway is going to mean something. That's well, but right. what cart, what hallway, and yeah, what does yeah, it yeah. Mean? But in that case, in that case, that's just. I mean, I, I I was not stressed out from seeing Drano on a cart, Drano prominently exp- um, displayed on a cart. I don't know, two, three times. That I I felt like that was what foreshadowing of something. Foreshad- yeah, and it was know, evocative the, because we know yes. Drano is dangerous, and mm-hmm. the person thinking about it, like it evokes the dread that you know you can evoke dread, but. Because there, because there is a murder mystery at the center of this, part of me is also trying to be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna solve the mystery by looking at the clues. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of various flashes that involve a female figure in white. 
sometimes with blood or appearing to the flashes are so fast it's very difficult to tell all you can tell in some cases i'm i'm being vague here but okay we're allowed to talk about this in some cases that flash appears to be uh adora walking out of the woods in some cases it's the woman it's the girl who ate the drano on -hmm. the back of the caboose in some cases it's marion in some cases it's um it's ama sometimes could be uh, yeah could be oh yeah 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 yeah. there's the ones at the end of oh well, god and she's got the ones with her crown on her, her weird crown in the house with her like sunken eyes so, oh my god know. she looks like see- Reagan. didn't she look like reagan from um exorcist yeah and she so some you see her for real like that and you see the flight those those i found the least objectionable because it's clear there's just like spooky person and you're not quite sure who it is and it was like there well, wasn't, but she's, like re- there she's was remembering or imagining something very painful, and, and they and they introduced that pretty quickly. Like the the the, mm-hmm. lady, the woman in white was a thing in the town, so all those flashes connected up to that, so it was fine. But but anyway, like so that was three episodes in. That w- that was what I was thinking. So f- as the whole season went, it became clear that the expectations, like what what they were asking of the audience, it wasn't a big ask. They were basically like in hindsight for the whole eight episodes or whatever, you can basically let it wash over you. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to rewind to be pouring over. You can, if that's a thing that you like to do, because some people love to do that in shows and this, this show is made for it. But if you don't want to, for the most part, they will bring stuff back in your face for longer periods. They will not like explain it to you, you know, explicitly, mm-hmm. but you will eventually get it. Like it's not, there's, let me put it this way, that's, I was going to, I was try, trying to phrase this in an, in an iMessage that I was going to send to somebody. I think I never actually sent it, but it was like, Either we were all overthinking the show or the show was underthinking itself because the theories that were spinning out in the middle of the season were like everything means something and it's way super complicated and have all these crazy theories about how all these hundred pieces fit together. Well, it became very like um, Twin Peaks where there was just the, the wildest theories sometimes in jest, I think, but the wildest theories like, you know, is it gonna turn out the Camille's the murderer? Like, yeah, you know, get the red string out. Like, let me show you how mm-hmm. this is all connected. Let me yeah. show you how, like, the, the you know, the the the, bo- the cancer boss's wife is the real. Well, like, did you notice? Like, the, well, notice that the sheriff is really good with pliers in that uh-huh. scene with the stop sign. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. So, like, and that's. I mean, that's good because the show gets you into it or whatever. But like that, that would be an example of perhaps us overthinking it. But I, in the end, the show might have been underthinking it a little bit because for all its sophistication, <laughs> and this is the part where I gloat. Um, <laughs> it was there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, in episode one, my gut feeling was that Adora was involved in some unsavory way, and that the show wants us to think it was the teenagers, but that I didn't want to believe it because teenagers are all monsters. And I and so it, I was, it was slightly seem, overthinking. It seemed to we. I think I don't know if I said this to you at the time, but it seemed like well, in the in the uh, <laughs> conservation of law and order characters, we know it's always the celebrity who did it. And like she's arguably, I mean, I guess next to Amy Adams, she's the most famous actress in the movie, in the in the TV show. And like it, and from very early on, just the way that she's acting and not acting makes you think, oh, it seems like she's done something very bad. Yeah. So and so like basically by episode one, I had it down, but I didn't want to believe it because it just seemed too on the nose for too the teenage the girls. Yeah, precisely. And I like the I like the idea that the show would make us think the teenage girls are menaces, but ha, that would be the lesson. The lesson is. Yeah, teenagers are all monsters, but they're not that kind of monsters. Well, it turns out in this show, they are that kind of monster. Well, we keep getting an alternating... We we learn a little bit more about Ama, a little bit more, all the time. Like, there'll be a big turn. Like, I remember an early big turn was 
that where where I got that wonderful line from this dollhouse is my fancy where you've seen Ama and now she's like what she's like Mama's perfect little girl with this dollhouse that's an exact yeah, or like that's like the same episode where she she had an episode one of her episodes or her mm-hmm. seizures or something it's like what what episodes is she having what why is she having seizures what's wrong with her yeah and she's so roller girl is very different from dollhouse Ama right no, mm-hmm. roller Ama versus dollhouse and she Ama seems versus- entirely aware of the fact that she's playing at least a couple, three roles she's, she's putting on or, uh, manipulating her, her appearance and her, the way that, the way that she seems to people for sure. Yeah. So in in the end this episode, it had this, the series had a lot of moving parts, but it was much simpler and it's more straightforward than you would have thought from the parts because you could have ended the season incorporating a lot more of those parts into a much more absurd, uh, complicated conclusion. Right. All the theories that people had, many of them were viable. They could have involved more people or a dark conspiracy that would reveal itself in later episodes. But it turns out that everything was essentially revealed and laid out for you in episode one. There isn't there wasn't some deeper, more complicated mystery that you needed multiple episodes to get to the bottom of. It was all there. And it was just a question of revealing a few key points. Uh, the second thing I'm going to say, now having seen the entire uh, series, is. Amy Adams, our our point of view character and the big star and a very good actor. Um, I kind of felt like her journey through the show, like I was really invested with her journey, with her, you know, her difficulties and her drinking and her cutting and her dealing with her family and her job. Her boss, yeah. Right. Towards the end. Last two, last two episodes. the show seemed to move away from her being the center of the thing and say, oh, and by the way, we have, we have to tell you how the crime went down. I, I mean, I kept saying to my wife, like, well, especially in the penultimate episode, that's the one where she goes to the party, right? Where it was like, oh, was that the one? But really kind of the last three episodes, but it's like, what is going, like, what is her decision making? Like, what is, these, she's choosing poorly here. Like, why is she doing this? And there's a part of me that thought, well, She's doing it to watch out for Emma, but no, I don't think she really was. Well, she's doing it because she's a journalist and she's looking right. for this experience. But but the, but the show was getting moving. I feel like, despite whatever she did, the, the show was moving away from her. Well, like, we to were cut a long story short, I ended up feeling like that was kind of a an oopsie doopsie in the last few episodes, especially in the last one, where my wife contends that well, she wanted to see what it was like and she wanted to know what was happening with Emma, so she had to experience what she had. But I'm like, no way would she let her mother do that. No, no, I, I, so here's my explanation for the, the, the final episode and her decisions, right? So by that point, I feel like we are estranged from her, like, because the, the show was so focused on her and I was really invested in her journey. But there yeah. is that tension between like, OK, you're invested in her journey, but we also kind of want to know what the deal is with the crime. Like it is like a crime mystery, right? Yeah. So they spend the last episode or two on the crime and away from her. But her decision in the last episode, now here's here's how I've headcanoned this, and I don't know if this is the intention, but I think it makes sense to me. Okay. So in the, la- in the last episode or whatever, she's she realizes the penultimate episode that uh, uh, her mom's been poisoning, you know, Munchausen by proxy, right? Which at this point, like the only reason any of us know about that is because of TV shows and movies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah, not but a trope, I can't believe but how many close. people had never heard of that before. Like that was it's a huge, that was a huge like 90s phenomenon you would hear about. Mm-hmm. Even 80s. I remember seeing things in the 80s about it when it was like when it was new or new to me. Um, but yeah, so that that's revealed. So now she knows uh, that, that her mom killed her sister and she knows that her mom is probably doing the same thing to Amma. So and, and well, she, then and that typically, consequently, she's certainly at least capable of killing others. Right. And and so it, it, the, the, the way they like to end episodes is kind of on a cliffhanger. So in the end episode, she's like, she has this revelation and it's like, no, what is she going to do about it? She's got she's to head home and she's got to save Amma. My, mom, my right? mom did it. 
right? And my, my, you know, or at the very least, my mom killed my sister, and my mom is potentially killing Alma. I'm going to head back there and stop that from happening. Now, you may think that a, a right-thinking person who wasn't who wasn't actually the child of this person, you know, like an outside person would say, the best thing for you to do is go into that house, take Alma, and leave, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like or, why? Or, or go, why go sit grab, down at the get, dinner table, Kansas City, and tell him? Yeah, why? Why go through uh, like just do that right now? Two ways. Again, I'm getting pretty deep in headcanon here. One is we've established in the show Adora's power in this town. Yes. So if she was to go in and say, "I'm taking Ama," and have a big confrontation, you can't like physically take Ama. Like there are two other adults in that house, and it may be difficult to get them. Adora could just call the police, and the police would side with her. The police would come. When Al- they Alma, would, Alma would probably not want to go. Alma wouldn't want to go. And Adora would, would call her police chief friend, and the police would come, and they would separate everyone and restrain them, and they'd all be have flashing lights, they'd be talking at the porch, and in the end, Adora would prevail. Yes. And what would happen is Amy Adams would be taken away by the police, and Amo would stay in the house with Adora, and Adora would poison her and probably kill her. Well, and also it would be more, more uh, ammunition for the idea that she's a crazy person. Right, but, but yeah, but, but most, like, Adora's power in this town is huge. It's how she got away with stuff, and so con- confronting her directly... And just let me do the straightforward and say, say, mom, you're a monster. I'm taking Amma and saving her like that. That actually wouldn't be successful. So that explains, I think, why she doesn't go in and do that. So she has to have an alternate strategy. Right. Second thing is her alternate strategy is basically to fall on the sword to basically say, I'll take the poison so that you'll be distracted from finishing poisoning Amma and start poisoning me. Now, that doesn't explain why she's so gung ho about it. And my explanation for that is one question. So the ham was poisoned or was she faking uh, it? No, faking, faking, 100% okay. faking. Because um, yeah. that's the way she decides to do it, is I, like, I'm going, to, I'm going to distract her and have her do this to me and tell Ama or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But she gets super into it. Like, she is like, more mama, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it's because, again, we're slightly estranged from her character at this point, but I think it's because she feels terrible that her sister died in a preventable way. And she, you know, sort of repressed memory kind of way. Like, we see all the memories of her, like, spitting out the stuff and refusing to take it from her mother. Like, she may not have known known that her mom was poisoning uh, her sister. But in hindsight, she can see it was right in front of my face. She tried to do it to me. I must have been repressing it. I don't know why I didn't see it. And she feels incredibly guilty. And she's, you know, she turns her her difficulties inward. She's She, she cuts, right? She's, you know, she has dark thoughts. And so she is throwing herself into the poison because at some point she she feels like she deserves to die. She feels like she deserves to go out the same way her sister did because mm-hmm. she didn't see it and didn't stop it. And she feels miserable about the whole thing. So she is going to save Ama and she is going to self-destruct, basically throw herself on the sword and, you know, intentionally make it worse. Like, she, I, I kept waiting for her to be like, oh, she's not really drinking it. She's going to spit it out or she's hot, you know, but yeah, she wasn't. Exactly. She was taking it, Right. And I think that's explicable by her character because all of her, she has a, a great reason to be upset and guilty and she turns that inward and she has a lot of self-loathing and a lot of regret and a lot of guilt and it's just compounded by this incredible revelation and she's at her lowest point. So that's how I can explain her actions and that's how I explain her actions in that episode. Mm-hmm. Even though from an outside perspective, it seems like, what are you doing? Take her out of the house or, you know, or more cleverly go like, oh, everything's fine. Uh, you know, some celebrity that I'm likes is in town. I'm going to take her in to see, like, do a do a fake out thing. That would have mm-hmm. been that would have been that could have worked if it was done well. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't 
play into the whole self-loathing thing. But uh, I, I just want, before we go too far, I also, I also want to award points to the eyes and the facial expressions from when she sits down and she and the mother look at each other and without saying anything, you can just, it's basically a, a conversation she, with she their knows eyes. That she knows. She yeah. can see, yeah, she can see that uh, Camille has figured it out and you can see, I thought that was a beautiful scene. Yeah, and I like I like when the, their confrontation in the bathtub when she's out of her mind on the poison and Adora is just straight up front and confronts it and just like is not doesn't hide from it doesn't try to lie and just be like listen you don't understand how things are like to for to Adora it makes perfect sense and she has no reason to hide it and she's just got to explain to her kid how it is uh, she did uh, uh, Camille did looking at the ham she wasn't looking at the ham she's looking at the knife by the ham because at that point she's like she's trying all options like. Mm-hmm. What can I do? I can, confrontation doesn't work. What if I just take the knife and stab her to death? <laughs> like briefly, there's the possibility of her anger turning outward before it turns entirely inward and she, you know, falls on the ground and and, and pretends. So you're so that you're you're that's your head cannon. Yeah, well, that's some of it's head cannon. That her faking it, I feel like, is in the episode. She's she's faking it. She's she's mm-hmm. she is distracting her mother by being poisoned, and she is gung ho into it because she feels terrible. Right. The he, the head cannon is that other alternatives wouldn't have worked. Like that that. Other, that she considered other yeah. approaches and realized they wouldn't have worked. I, I don't think that was in the episode, but that's how I rationalize how that's, uh, you know. How about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, in, you know, and this was like the final episode. I feel like I wish they had an episode or two more. Like, aside from moving away from Camille and, and us identifying yeah, with her and dealing with her stuff. Yeah, the book spends a lot more time with uh, Emma and Camille in St. Louis. Like, it was, it's, pretty, it's pretty abrupt the way they, you know, kind of yeah, cut they, away. Well, I'm, here's the thing. Like, I feel like they could have used another episode, but I think the last episode was very artfully done, and I have one regret for, with me watching it. This is like I anti full media blackout myself, but like, what can you do, right? So I'm watching. We're watching the episode. Like, Adora, the you know the police come, uh, the, the her boss comes and saves her, which I feel like is a little Deus Ex Machina. But on the other hand, it was well established in the previous episode that she called him and she was hysterical. So mm-hmm. if anything is going to get him to just get in the car and drive down there, it's going to be that because she was a mess, like in a way that she hadn't been in all the other times she'd called him. So I can understand him and saying, I've got to get in the car and go down there. It's not like he knew he was going to save her in the nick of time. He was just going down there and, you know, right. And at least he was insistent. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Adora's off to jail and they take, uh, you know, Camille takes Ama back with her and they set up her apartment. Like, so when this is a musical montage, like there's no dialogue, there's some music playing. When uh, Amma and Camille are in the car heading back to her apartment, I made the mistake of looking at the clock. <laughs> right. And I realized... You don't want to accidentally hit the scrubber and go, oh, 15, it wasn't, 20 I was minutes? Watching it, I was watching it live on HBO, right? Okay. So I knew the show was going to end. Like, I was caught up. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, in a queue. So I could just look at the clock and say, there's like... You know, the same thing with the scrubber. There's like 12 minutes left in this episode, right? And as soon as I looked at the clock, I said, oh my God, it's Amma. Right, because, <laughs> really wow yes because there was too much time left there was too much time left in the episode and they'd narrowed it down to two characters it's like there are you know especially as they drove in the car it's like they have to have this 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 uh dialogue free montage is going to end and they're gonna have to talk because there's too much time left in the episode mm-hmm. why would they have that why would they start them talking again there must be more to the story. And well, especially the old, now that they, like, they had so quickly inserted this new character, her, her friend. Yeah, no, I thought that was I thought that was very well done, actually. Like this, this mm-hmm. is kind of like the moment in Arrival. Arrival is the movie that had the most, like you know, 
physically like puzzle pieces falling into place in the most pleasing way possible like when it you know when i realized like the whole the whole conceit of arrival right Mm -hmm. that was just amazing like sort of a slow motion you talk about the introduction introduction of the character or when the mother says where where is she when i when i realized the point in the movie when i realized an arrival spoilers for arrival sorry uh we did the spoilers part for that one when i realized the conceit of the the show about the, the timelines right Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when that was, but it was like, it was before the thing had revealed it, but the pieces came together in this satisfying, it was like a Jenga tower, but instead of it being knocked down in slow motion, it was assembling itself in slow motion <laughs> or like, yeah. or like puzzled, like Tetris pieces falling and making all the lines. Like, so, you know, this, I got that same feeling here. And when, you know, when I realized, oh my God, it's Ama, right. I'm watching as the, the, as the dialogue commences again with dread, because I know. Mm -hmm. what they're going to go for and the dread was compounded by the introduction of her new character her new friend her new city friend Mm -hmm. right yeah and they have to introduce that character make you care about her and yank the rug out from you in like oh you're talking about when they're when they're eating and i thought they did a really good job because it it was tight time and they had just the right scenes and the actor was likable you felt like i i felt like like for me because at this point i'd already figured out the dread of the two of them together but i'm like but they're not gonna fine she's the friend but they're just gonna reveal that she killed the people back in the town right but then when the mom comes to the door that was an incredibly affecting scene like you haven't oh, seen my daughter have you with that like incredible panic under like, the surface no, no, of her no, face no, please no please no like we've all we you know yeah the thing you worry about all, been there and felt that and like you can see it and it's just like oh and like you realize that they're going to twist the knife right mm-hmm. it's not just going to be oh you it turns out it was alma after all look at the funny you know the, the twist ending she's gonna you know and so but then you're like but like you still don't want to believe like maybe they're just teasing you it's like now that you know viewer that basically it's going to be ama we're going to make you dread that she's going to do something else terrible and then of course camille finds the dollhouse with the oh teeth. that was such a good scene didn't you think when you see the little doll in the window, it's like, oh, sh-. oh, excuse me, sorry, Jim, cut that off. But we, right? I mean, isn't that that is meant to echo the second girl, right? Yeah, I think so. Like uh, she, she walks up and sees a doll sitting in a window, just the way the second girl was posed, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And that, then, and I was like, then, oh no, 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 please, no, please. No, and then no. peeking into the floor, and here's my like, I didn't think about this in the moment, but I went back and looked at that scene and paused it. The the precision tools required <laughs> to know. make that floor. Yeah. It's not easy to cut teeth into thin Wouldn't slices. Wouldn't your mom have noticed? Like, you need, a like, a workshop. She you can't just do this, that freehand. She works on this with her mother. Wouldn't her mother see the tooth floor? I mean, like, they didn't... I wish they had established that she had a small workshop somewhere that she went privately. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's great for poetically. But, that, but, the but show, that was, like, you know, this is one of those... I don't know, psycho. It's one of those payoffs where you're like, oh my God, she's replicated her mother's perfect ivory floor that no one is allowed to walk on mm-hmm. with the teeth of children. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah. it just, w- the waves just come over you. Like they really went there with that. And that is very upsetting. Yeah. And then, but then, and then she comes and what does she the, say? You know, what does she say when she gets discovered? Don't tell mama. Don't tell mama. Right. Like, just back to the little kid thing, right? And so, in this brief thing here, like, they, they had a couple of jobs to do. One was to reveal that Amma's the, the, the real thing. So, we've got her teeth. That's Kalmites in the teeth and everything, right? Second was to explain why 
Uh, and they did that over the course of the whole series to their credit. I like the idea that it wasn't like, you're not going to understand what the hell Amo would have wanted to kill anyone for until the last episode. No, you understand it through the whole show. It was always there. It just maybe you didn't want to believe it, right? Uh, but they hammer it home in the last scene, right? So the scene, the scene at dinner where she's clearly envious, right? But they, but they also show her visiting uh, Adora in jail, and rather than being upset with Adora, the hands on the glass, the tears, like there is a bond between them. Like she, her, she is attached to that. But then she goes off with Camille. Camille is her new source of attachment. When we'd seen them jousting as a potential new source of attachment the whole series, mm-hmm. and this is her new attachment thing, and the. The, je- the moment of jealousy uh, about someone else taking attention, we know the two girls that were killed were getting Adora's attention because they were Adora's lost girls or whatever. Yeah. And Ama doesn't want Adora's attention to go into anyone else. Why did Ama kill those other two girls? Because Adora was giving them attention. Like, in the end, it's all leads back to Adora, right? But she didn't actually do it, right? So they, they managed to hammer that home in case you missed it the whole rest of the series with that one little dinner scene, right? Yeah. And yeah. Then, there's, then there's the tooth floor and then <laughs> the credits roll. And you're like, Okay, maybe the friend is like the friend is saved at this point. The credits roll. And like, at I'm that still... point, as of two days ago, as we record this, as you're going to credits, you're thinking to yourself, "Well, I, you know, maybe I, maybe I wouldn't mind a second season of this because clearly there's a lot of questions." Did you know? For not, I mean, certainly amongst them, like, did, did is this what we think it is? Is this exactly what we think it is? Your mind's racing. My mind's racing. Well, how'd she tear the teeth out? All that kind of stuff. And yeah, where, are the, where are the micro tools to, and the, to make and these the, precision slices? The, the tooth floor, and then then the credits roll. Yeah, and so that that makes you think, like, because this show loves to tease you and make you dread things. So they had the tease about the friend. They had the they had the incredibly worried mother. But it's like, well, you know, uh, that was obviously just a tease. They wanted us to dread it. We felt the dread. But in the end, like, they just wanted us to reveal the teeth floor. And that was that, right? Mm-hmm. And then the credits roll briefly, and then there is a scene cut into the credits. Now, if you don't like, if you don't like fast cuts, boy, are you not going to like that first. Well, here's, here's the thing. I feel like I spent eight episodes or whatever being trained by this show about how, what my ex, how should I be calibrated to deal with these flashing scenes? Mm-hmm. Me, personally, by the time the last episode came and they did that flashing scene... I was correctly calibrated, and here's here's why. Uh, I think I was exactly perfectly calibrated for that scene because it's really fast, and if if I had just gone in cold and had never seen the rest of the series, I felt like it would have been hard for me to read what's going on, but what actually happened was I 100% read everything that was going on. My brain said, but is that really what you saw? You, you better saw, you saw that check. it was three distinct <laughs> I, I, I slayings. Saw, the, what it, the information it wanted me to, to convey to me, I got it, but it was oh, oh, so no, fast absolutely. That, I, that Ama Ama is like a berserker, like psychopathic killer. That she killed her her city friend, and that she killed the other two, and that her two roller friends helped her. Mm-hmm. I got all that information in the first one, but I didn't want to believe it because it was so horrible that I went back to to check. So I'm like, okay, well, that's what you think you saw, but it was so you fast. Did it, Surely you rewound. Yeah, it was so fast. Surely you missed something. Is that really what you saw? Right. And I went back, and with mounting dread, each time I went through it, I'm like, yes, you got it the first time. Which maybe is not the experience they want you to have, but I like the idea that I, I got all the information and just didn't want to believe it because it was so horrible. And I feel like that that is a great experience to have from a TV. It would have been worse if they did that, and I did. I said, wait, the hell, what, what was that? I missed it. Like, if I had missed it and had to rewind to get the information... That would be worse. Now, it could, I think, that scene is probably too fast cut and that a lot of people I think it was way it. too fast cut to, to 
Grok as three separate killings. Yes, because I, I think it's, it, I, I, think I, it's I thought too fast. It, the first time I watched it, again watching very carefully with glasses on, I thought it was a very fast cut scene that was almost a hundred percent the killing of the new friend, and then the shot to the girl from underneath the bed, like flashback. But no, it's actually all three different killings. There's a strangling. Mm-hmm. There's like there's three different ones. Yep, and the, the most heartbreaking one for me was that the friend. They go back to the friend a bunch of times, and that was that was that was the twist. Was that the one under like, the bed? No, the uh, the city friend. Oh, like oh, the, with the with the uh, with the with the fence. Yeah, yeah. right. Because that's the, what they open on us: our hands shaking on the fence, right, yeah, with and, the painted nails. Yeah, yeah, and they go back to that one a couple times just to really hammer it home. That if mm-hmm. you're only going to get one thing out of that, you're going to see here's yeah, because the city friend is a black girl, right? Yeah, here's someone you know. The friend that we introduced and her mother was worried. Her mother had a good reason to be worried. Like the worst, the worst has happened, and and it's and that's when that's when like if you didn't want to believe it that you put the puzzle pieces back together of like two seconds ago the scene of her being jealous about you just saying that to to suck up to Camille like that's that's her motivation. That's why she's doing these things because she needs Camille all to herself. She needs Adora all to herself. She can't have her attention elsewhere. And so you know she's she's a victim of Adora just like Camille, just like Marion. Uh, but Ama directs like all, all of the abuse and the terrible things that have happened to her. She directs it outwards. No, she doesn't cut herself. Right? They're we're always worried about: oh, Is she going to be cutting? Mm-hmm. Is she suicidal? Is she drinking? And well, she's already drinking, out? and she's already kind of like a little version of Camille. Right, but instead, but she has the opposite. All of her stuff goes outward. Yeah. Right, her her anger and you know, and so. But now it, it's all only over. Tension's done. Time to go to sleep. Yeah, and then of course at that point you're not gonna you're gonna keep watching the rest of the credits, right? Yeah, you're gonna get me again. Yeah, right. And I mean, I feel like the last one was unnecessary, but it's oh, fine. Oh, like, but so spooky! I yeah, thought that, that was at very that point. Spooky. If you don't get it, you know, it's like it's not too much of a stretch now to to think that you know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was very artistic. Like she's the woman in white. Yeah, and it, it vindicates the uh, meth boy, right? Why is she the woman in white? Why is she wearing white in the woods? It's just her, her like her like night dress or whatever. Like mm-hmm. they're. The flowy things. It's Camille gets put into one when she's in the sick bed at the end. But why is she just, wearing that out in the woods? Because it's just that's just what she does. She goes off because into the she's woods. The and, big, well, has the because I thought I guess I felt like the woman in white was like a an old like yeah it predates her but she's imitating yeah. it. But okay, she's, she's manifesting. Right, so that is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a you know who knows with like a town folklore or whatever, but she's she's manifesting it. But in in reality, she is the one that lured. Good show, you know, good talent, good writing. Um, that was a good show. Yeah, the only the only thing I I feel like they didn't wrap up for me is I don't fully understand uh Roller Friends uh motivations. I understand mm-hmm. why Ama did everything she did. Oh, I think there's they, a lot of questions. There's a ton of questions. Um, uh, but, but that's like, a but very they, good but question. But they're involved in the murders. They're able to keep that secret. They're able to they're a little bit shocked at what's going on. Like obviously Ama's more into it than they are, but they're surprisingly chill about it and we never get anything about what their lives are like to explain why they would be okay with this, let alone willing participants in it. So I feel like that is a, that's a gap. And it's not just like a, well, especially because they were just kind of portraying them as dim witted, like, um, like dim witted hangers on or like Lolita's basically. Yeah. Oh, but the, all of them, this is the thing is in the group dynamic between among the three of them seem pretty equal. It's not like Ama was clearly the leader and they were the, they were the sidekicks. They were all, they were three roller girls yeah, it together. It was like a Tracy flick thing, but I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so they weren't, they weren't fleshed out enough. And I feel like, uh, them them being involved makes it like it, it makes me makes me feel like they should have spent again another episode or two having scenes for those two girls so at least you got because they i think they could have done it a thumbnail sketch of what the deal is with their lives and why yeah. they're 
you know, but that would have been too much of with, a tell. Like if you had too much of it in anything but the last episode, it would be too much of a tell probably. Yeah. I, I thought they got away with not having us really see the victims at all. We heard a lot about the victims from their siblings Do we need the other two girls to have been involved plot wise? Uh, I'm... I mean, it makes it makes the roller girls more menacing as a group because you realize they're all in on it, and it's not just the one; it's not just the two. See, but I like the idea of Ama being able to fake anything to all these different groups. Those other girls seemed a little dim to be able to pull that off. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I think I feel like they could have used at least another episode to spread. And and did um did Ama know? And it wasn't until I saw the subtitles on screen as they were yelling the names how close Ama and Mama are to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do a lot a lot of that stuff. Um, the, does Amma know her mother killed Marion? Yes. When did we learn that? Oh, you mean like not by the end of the show, but like earlier than that? Yeah. Um, I think she probably suspects it more than Camille because Camille seems to have, again, Camille flashes back to her spitting out the stuff, Mm -hmm. but I don't think Camille understands what happened to Marion. Like she was, she was too young when it was happening Mm -hmm. and she was too naive and even though she didn't want to take the medicine, she was just being basically obstinate, but didn't realize this was actually the, the cause. But Ama is wants the mother's attention is playing into it, is a willing participant in poisoning herself and understands how to deal with the poison and understands what's happening. And I feel like because she knows, because she's dealing with her, she's managing it herself in a more eyes open way, mm-hmm. she's more likely to be able to figure out this is what happened to Marion. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. And why she doesn't tell it to Camille or hint to it or whatever, like, you know. I don't know. Like she's she's a little bit messed up. Like, it, but I I love how the end also explains why Ama like he says like go go get Richard. Tell him uh, you know if I die, tell him it's because Mama was taking care of me. She goes down the stairs and you're like go go Ama. You're gonna go get Richard and save the day. Right. And she gets interrupted by Cake Dad. Alan's like oh let's have, let's have some cake. Oh and, man. Well, I mean there was that point where a lot of us were saying wow. I wonder, I've been saying well I think I said to you several times I wonder if Alan's involved in this, but he's actually involved in like an even creepier way his uh non-feasance you know yeah like he, he knows it's happening but doesn't want to think about it he has brief thoughts i love the well, it's almost like it's a- almost like she's a like a blackout drunk and uh, that makes her happy and so he helps cover for her do you know what i mean it's it's he's definitely a, a kind of yeah, he's concerned about it. Like I love, I love the episode where he's thinking about his good memories of Ama. He's like, well, she's up there probably killing Ama now. I was so fond of Ama. But he still does nothing. He doesn't get up off the couch. Like he's mm. like, no. Oh, anyway, turn the volume I love this up. Like, French he, music. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I was upset about him not going to jail. Like he was, he was so complicit in this that he should be an accessory. He shouldn't just be at home hugging Ama. But anyway, she goes down the stairs, and the audience is rooting for her to run out and save, you know, Amy Adams. Uh, and then he distracts, like, oh no, she he's been intercepted. Yeah. She can't escape. But then you later realize when she's back in her room, and Camille's like, why didn't you leave? Like in in hindsight, after you see the end of it, you realize. She didn't want to leave. She wanted Camille to go down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, wow. she wanted Camille to die. Camille's taking my mom's attention. Well, you better go all the way and take all the poison and die because I don't want to go and save you. I, I want you, you know, out of here. Like, so it was, it was in a, she was never going to leave, right? She wasn't intercepted by Alan and the cake. She had no intention of ever actually getting out That's of there. That's a very upsetting Camille. show. They, um, I believe I read today that they are uh, planning not to do a second season of this, which I think is good. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where you'd go with this. I mean, the sto- the story is, but yeah. I, you you could, I suppose. But like, I don't. It, what they should have really had is, you know, they could do it. They could one do or two pre- more episodes of this season. Do a prequel with that girl. Man, she's amazing. Adora's childhood. I'm sure that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, sharp objects, babies. <laughs>